$50,000 level just a short time ago. It's now up more than 70% since January 1st. So uh, it's come off a little bit right under that 50,000 mark, but um, pretty extraordinary run, uh, no matter how you look at it. Joe? I just wish, uh, I, I wish we knew all, I wish we could see into the future, Andrew, because I, it, all you need to do, you, you take the total global financial system, right? Yep. Figure out what that is. Uh, and then divide it by 21 million. Well, first, take the total financial system and decide what percentage of that could someday be crypto-related or, or, or right. where crypto could or be Bitcoin play related. a role. Right. Or Bitcoin-related. Then divide that by 21 million. And that's where you get some scary numbers. And I don't know if they're legit or... or, or but at the same time, you worry about individual countries and governments... You know, that they'd have a huge vested interest, for example, the United States and the dollar remaining the reserve currency. So what do they do when it becomes clear or if it starts to look like you're not having control, which maybe it's already starting to look like that, isn't it? What do they do? They can do whatever they want, can't they? Or can what's they? The, what's the number at which it gets out of control? And is it the number, the, the price of Bitcoin, which is out of control, or is it the distribution of Bitcoin, meaning it's still held in, in, in only a few hands on a relative basis to, to the country. And so that's, to me, what you should be looking for, because you, you, can, you can buy half a Bitcoin, you could buy a tenth of a Bitcoin. And what, what, if it really, to me, escape velocity is not necessarily the price itself, uh, but just how many holders there are. Right. Well, a lot of people, you know, I've seen some crazy stuff where people write in that it's not a fixed number. It's not 21 million that because you can divide each one into and that's where you go. OK, you just need to go back to, you know, you know, elementary school level math because I'm not even going to have a conversation uh, because there are 21 million, whether you split them up or not. It's 21 million. Right. So I don't know. I don't. It's fixed. And if it has inherent value, then you can make a case. What Novogratz say? A hundred thousand other people. I think the Winklevi have said a half. You know, half a million. If you do math I've heard like half that, a million. I've heard a million. I've heard two hundred thousand. Yeah, million. Right. You know, the other question right. is, once it gets to those levels, do a lot of people side of it? I mean, you know, you're hearing, are people ever really going to use it not as a currency, but at some point you say, okay, I'm, I, I, you know, it's made the run, and then does it just level out at this sort of, at some price or no? Right. It's hard to know. Right. If you call it something like the Internet of Money or you saw Paul Tudor Jones say it's like Apple in the first top of the first inning or Amazon in the top of the first inning, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I don't know. A few of them, we'll see. A few of this morning. It gives us something to look forward to. A few of this morning's. Well, hey there, freaks. It's your boy, Matt O'Dell, 
here for another Bitcoin Tuesday. This is Citadel Dispatch Episode 9, the live show that focuses on actionable Bitcoin discussion. I am glad to be joined here by Soft Simon and Wiz, the two lead maintainers of the mempool.space project. Uh, it's a tool that I use all the time, every day. Big supporter of this tool. Um, it comes on the heels of a crazy week where we saw Bitcoin breach 50K. Um, that clip in the beginning that you just heard it was our was CNBC. It was our boy Joe Kernan uh, sounding like a complete orange-pilled Bitcoiner. And Andrew Ross Sorkin, who has been salty about Bitcoin going up uh, and seems to just be deflated and accepting his fate as a salty no-corner on mainstream TV uh, as 2021 plays out. Um, so let's jump into this, boys. I'm, I'm pretty excited to be here for this one. Uh, it's one that we've been looking forward to for a while. Um, I've spoke to Wiz many times in the past, but this is my first uh, public discussion with Simon, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and I, you know, I'm just I and welcome to all the freaks in the audience. Uh, we're looking forward to you guys giving us good questions uh, to riff on as we go through here. I just wanted to say um, that both uh, Simon and Wiz are in the, basically the opposite time zone of of me. So this is their morning. So good morning to them. Uh, good evening to pretty much everyone else. Uh, and let's have a let's have a fun rip today, boys. Um, so I mean, let's start with Wiz. Wiz. How's it going over there? Sub cypherpunks. Um, should I speak in all caps? Is that the new norm? Yes, we only speak in all caps in this paradigm. Uh, I just uh, I just woke up at five a.m. to be on the new uh, Matt Odell show, and uh, it's an honor to be part of the Citadel's dispatch. Thanks for having us on. What's up, Simon? Hey, Matt. Feels great to be on. I'm excited. So my understanding is um, Simon is the founder of Mempool. Um, he ended up on Wiz's radar and Wiz was happy to join him. Uh, Wiz, do you want to give us some light into how you two met? Yeah, that's a, that's a cool uh, story to tell. I guess um, in the very, a uh, couple of years ago, when uh, Raspberry Pi 4 came out, um, uh, a friend of mine uh, by the name of DJ Booth 007 and I were working on this uh, open source thing that we never released called the Bitcoin Television. And it was kind of like a poor man's version of Umbrella like two years ago, um, where we had like, you know, a quote unquote app store and everything. And one of the apps that we wanted to have on there was Mempool Space. But this was two years ago, and Mempool Space was just this um, uh, simple little website that simon had made and it wasn't open source or anything so i i hit him up on twitter i was like hey simon like uh you know can we can we make this into an open source project and collaborate on it and uh he was like yeah sure and uh we did it you know like i guess like within a few days of that conversation we got the code together and uh added some you know documentation and screenshots and uh we we launched it right simon yeah, I remember how to. You forced me to release it open source. So I had to spend a few days to clean up the code before I dared to release it on GitHub. Was this your first open source project, Simon? Um, not really. I've had a few different projects of different sizes uh, during the years, but uh, 
I did this. I, I was because I was um, starting to be a full-time Bitcoiner in 2017. So I tried to find something in, in to do related to Bitcoin, and I got this idea of doing this visualizer of the mempool. So I did it. So it's the first basic version was just seeing the blocks come in, seeing the mempool fills up. So the first version is almost like what it looks like right now. And uh, then Wiz came in and he offered to host it. So since then, Wiz has hosted the site in his data centers and stuff. And um, and uh, we took it took time. It took a while until we found a way of scaling it up with a more proper backend, so we can make it into a full block explorer like we like it is right now. Yeah, in, in the early days, it was. Um... It was just like this simple mempool visualizer. That was the mempool v1 release. And that site was um, not super interesting because I think at the time the mempool was just mostly empty. And um, that, but that was really good because it gave us a lot of time to uh, implement the full explore functionality and the new dashboard and all the other really cool features um, that everyone uses now. And so I would say over the course of, of uh, at least a year, uh, right, Simon, we worked on on uh, just building out the Explorer. And uh, yeah. at some at some point, uh, we launched the V2 site, right, which is what uh, users are. I guess we're on version 2.1 now. So um, operationally, it was a big challenge because, um, you know, there's not too many backends that are like high performance uh, index of all the Bitcoin blockchain data and transactions and addresses and everything. So eventually we found the uh, Blockstream had developed this project called Explora. So we took the backend from that, uh, which was their fork of uh, Electris, which is the re-implementation of Electrum server in Rust, but with a new Rust API. And um, in the beginning, it was it was a big challenge to even get that back and up running because it's such a beast to run. And, uh, you know, I just spent way too many sats on uh, powerful servers with tons of RAM and non-volatile memory modules. And eventually we got this really fast uh, Electris back end up and running. And that was the, the mempool V2 site. So, um, yeah, that's how it started. Yeah, so to the freaks who are joining us through the live stream. Um, they can do that through Twitch, Twitter, or YouTube. We support all of the Evil Empire services for broadcasting. Um, someone, a freak, was asking what uh, the Twitch name is. That is twitch.tv slash Citadel Dispatch. Um, I appreciate if, if you guys use that over YouTube, if, if you're so willing, because uh, YouTube tends to be a little bit draconian with my music choices at the end, but you know, that is my own fault. Copyright is a thing. Um, if you are watching the live stream, I have mempool.space right now on um, the screen, uh, the screen share. Um, that is the main dashboard. Uh, you guys have been doing a lot of work on that dashboard um, to try and, and provide a compelling um, like one stop shop, right. For, for a user that, that might be in need of a blockchain explorer. And I, I think it's very interesting because um, you guys took, I, I guess, like, I don't even want to say the name, but since the beginning block explorers, um, pretty much every block explorer used the same exact derivative interface of, of those block explorers. Heavy in text, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're greeted with a big search bar in the beginning and, and, and you, you put in your, you know, your address details or your transaction ID 
and it gives you more information. You guys went with a more visual approach. It's completely different than uh, any other block explorer, right? Yeah, yeah. Simon loves visual things. <laughs> yeah, but the design you see without, except for the big dashboard that we uh, improved over the past few years, but uh, with the blocks and everything, uh, that was the main idea I just had from the very start. It's how I felt it was the absolute natural way of displaying the the blockchain in the mempool because I, if you go to a regular blockchain, uh, block explorer website, you only see like a list, and people don't really understand how the blockchain looks like. So that's why I like to see it as blocks, and you actually see them come in, and people actually start learning and not noticing like, oh, the blocks don't come in every ten minutes and stuff. So I get a lot of random questions like that, like, oh, they could be an hour between a block and people start noticing how the blockchain and the Bitcoin blockchain actually works and the mempool actually works. Yeah, Simon, there hasn't, there hasn't been any blocks mined for over 20 minutes now, Simon, hurry up and mine a block. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a really good point. The uh, really innovative thing that Simon invented was this concept of visualizing the mempool as projected blocks. So you can see what will, most likely um, be in the next mind block. And um, this yeah. was uh, this was this was a big change from all other block explorers because up until that point no one had focused on the mempool. And more importantly, um, you know, they only looked at the past. Like a block explorer only shows uh, typically mind transactions and they, they with very little emphasis on the mempool simply because the mempool was not relevant um, until very recently, like within a few years ago. And so all of these blockchains are kind of stuck in the past. But nowadays, as Bitcoin's transitioning into this, uh, you know, fee market, multi-layer ecosystem, you care a lot more about right now. And, you you know, once a transaction is mined, okay, great, it's, it's done now. We don't really care about it anymore. But when your transaction is stuck in the mempool, or if you're about to make a transaction, you need to know what's going on with the mempool, how much uh, fee fee rate you should use, and then once you broadcast that transaction, you want to track it as it uh, kind of sits in the mempool, or if you know your transaction is stuck, maybe you want to bump up the fee using RBF or CPFP or other methods, and uh, this is the tool um, for that, right? Um, yeah. So I mean, let's unpack that a little bit. I mean, you guys have, I I think you know, the best block explorer. I basically use a combination of, of your block explorer. Um, in terms of public block explorers, I use your your block explorer and blockstream.infos. Um, basically, those hit everything I need. Um, we're going to go further into self-hosting and whatnot. But before we get there, I mean, based off of what Wiz said, I think I want to use, you know, one of the key aspects of Citadel Dispatch is I try and focus on actionable discussion. I think there's a lot of fluff in the Bitcoin space that results in, you know, people just talking philosophically about Bitcoin. You know, I love number go up as much as the next guy. I'm definitely guilty about that. Um, but I like to focus on actionable things, right? And one thing that is going to be very important, especially for new Bitcoiners, but even for people that are class of 2017, you know, maybe they've been here for three or four years. They haven't really, I mean, let's be honest. There's only like really one period in history where anyone has, has seen real fee pressure. Um, so I kind of wanted to unpack uh, what, you know, how, what people should, what do you guys think people should expect in terms of rising fees? Um, are we going to see rising fees this year? 
you know, do, what, what should users do in terms of um, when they choose their fee? Like how, how should they choose their fee? Do they, do they overcompensate? Do they go under and do they use RBF? Like let's, let's dive into this a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's a tough question and it's hard to really know what's going to happen, but we're already seeing this year. Usually when, the, when there's a lot of price action, usually the fee starts to go up for a while. But you, if you're doing regular, if you're doing Bitcoin transactions regularly, you start to learn some patterns. For example, that on weekends, the fees are lower. And uh, what we try to do in mempool space, what I try to do is teach people the proper way of using Bitcoin. For example, when you track a trans, when you look up your transaction and track it, you get some flags showing red or green. Green means good. So it will show green if you're using a SegWit transaction. It will be yellow if it's just a, a SegWit compatible transaction. So, and uh, there's also a, a replace by fee flag. So it will be red if you're not using replace by fee. So it will try to encourage people to, to make everything green by upgrading to a wallet that's using full SegWit that has support for replace by fee. Then your fees will get cut in half and you will be able to bump your fee for free, basically, incrementally until you reach a fee that's, um, that will, will push you further into the priorities, priority queue. Um, so, I mean, I mean there's, still, there's still a lot to unpack there. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to... So, so let's talk about mempools. Maybe that's the way to attack it. Um, we hear people say um, the mempool. Um, I mm. checked mempool space to check the mempool. Um, if you see the tweet I sent out um, and the title of YouTube, I successfully avoided that mishap that a lot of people do. Um, there are really many mempools. Everyone has their own mempool. Um, what what is a mempool? Why is that relevant? Uh, you know, and how does that how does that impact what fee the the user should choose? Well, when you make a Bitcoin transaction, it is broadcasted to the peer-to-peer -peer network of Bitcoin nodes all around the world. So your transaction is propagated and stored in everyone's mempool. <laughs> and everyone can ha have a diff slight different mempool and they can have different, different size limit of how big their mempool are. And the base basic um, default limit is like 300 megabytes. So... And some some other some nodes have higher uh, ceiling. Mempool space, for example, have much higher ceiling, so we can show all the all the mempools so that people can actually find their transaction. But um, yeah, basically, mempool is where the transactions are waiting before they are confirmed, and the miners are just picking from the mempool when they are building constructing new blocks, and they are taking the transaction with the highest fees. Uh, in general. So if you want to be confirmed faster, you need to put a, a high fee. And if you put a, uh, a fee that's too low, you're just going to be far behind in the queue and you can be stuck there for days, weeks, months until the until you raise the fee or until the backlog is cleared. So it's, that's it's, how the mempool works. It's probably also a good idea just to kind of uh, touch on the on the uh, topic of why there are transaction fees in the first place and uh, why the transaction fees are getting more expensive over time, right? This is a relatively um, 
old concept, but only became relevant recently. Uh, basically, um, in the old days, uh, you know, like 10 years ago, if you were making a Bitcoin transaction, you could do a zero fee Bitcoin transaction. But uh, this was not good because someone could spam the peer to peer network with uh, garbage transactions. So they added a minimum fee, which was just a hard coded, I think it was like 0 0.001 uh, Bitcoin per transaction or something. And then they changed to, uh, fees per byte. And then when SegWit came along, they changed to V, uh, sats per V byte. And, uh, all of this was in preparation for the eventuality that the demand for space in the Bitcoin blockchain will exceed the supply or the maximum capacity of, uh, space in the Bitcoin blockchain. And this never really happened until, uh, I guess, 2017, 2018. Um, and this is also what kind of sparked the whole, uh, you know, the so-called uh, big block size debate, small block size debate. And uh, it turned out that uh, a malicious miner was spamming the uh, Bitcoin network with high fee transactions because they wanted to artificially uh, inflate the, the fees of all transactions because they would get most of those transaction fees. And also because they were uh, kind of shilling this narrative of we need to increase the block size in an attempt to basically take over Bitcoin. And this, you know, you kind of have to go into the whole New York agreements and, uh, you know, SegWit 2X and, and uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of uh, history as well as like the uh, BIP 148 and the UASF movement where uh, the Bitcoin users essentially rejected that bullshit narrative and uh, activated SegWit on their own. And uh, this, uh, this caused um, the malicious mining uh, pool that had all this uh, covert, covert ASIC boost hash power to have to fork off their own coin, which is now known as Bcash or Btrash. And uh, this was a very important point in Bitcoin's history where the users successfully defended an attack uh, to take over the, the network by many companies and many mining pools who had kind of signed on to this uh, agreement. And so um, that's that was the first time um, the mempool really got full and, and it was, it was kind of good in a way that uh, Bitcoin defended the attack, but but more so when you're talking about the mempool, this is what sparked Simon to first create the mempool space website back in uh, 2018 uh, or whenever it was. And it gave us a few years to kind of uh, develop and build out the site uh, for the eventuality of when the Bitcoin network naturally did, um, you know, have its demand for space exceed the supply. And so now, uh, as of about two or three months ago, basically when the when the bull market started to get into full swing, uh, now we're seeing you know for example the mempool has not cleared out since last year. Uh, what was that? It was December. Was it the mempool hasn't cleared since last year? Yeah, it's been uh, what two or three months now. That was, um, you know, uh, people might know Hodlnot's prediction of we won't fall under 10k again uh, that he made over and over again um, i may or may not have made the mempool prediction over and over again but i did make it for my new year's resolution i said or new year's prediction i said that 
the mempool will not clear this year. Um, and it has not cleared yet. Um, it has sometimes hit uh, one sat per byte. It's cleared one sat per byte transactions, but not cleared all of them. It's hit some of them. Um, and that's usually during weekends, as we said earlier, when, when transaction, uh, <laughs> a few times, when transactions, um, or there's less transactions, there's less people using Bitcoin on the weekends. So, so more, you know, lower fee transactions clear. Um, just unpack what we just said, just, just to make it super clear. The reason transaction fees exist in the first place, why does Bitcoin have transaction fees? Is because it's a distributed ledger. Every single node runner is, is holding this ledger. They're holding the data. They are also transferring the data between each other. That's heavy bandwidth requirements. And if we don't have a cost on the, on the transactions, what happens is every transaction always has a cost regardless. You, you have these shit coins that say, we have free transactions, we have free transactions. What that means is the transactor isn't paying the fee. Instead, the node operators are paying. And the node operators are paying in operation cost. They're paying in, in bandwidth costs. They're paying in storage cost, And they're paying in the potential of, of losing accessibility, just the, the fact that you can't run a node through Tor, you have to run it through AWS or one of these centralized uh, cloud providers. Um, so, so the fact that Bitcoin has transaction fees that are paid by the user are absolutely important to keeping the system distributed in the first place. That is the key thing. It's, it's a cost to spam that is not, that is not held by, you know, that is not controlled by some centralized third party somewhere. Um, if you try and spam the YouTube comments right now, um, YouTube will block you, right? But then you have to rely on Google to be altruistic, and they're not. They're fucking evil. So, so the the result for a distributed system is you need to have these fees, right? Yeah, in a uh, crypto anarchy uh, environment, you need to financially incentivize what you want people to do, and financially disincentivize what you uh, want people to not do. And so, the way this uh, works in Bitcoin, and the way uh, miners will also be compensated um, uh, instead of inflating the supply of Bitcoin once it hits the the limit of 21 million Bitcoin is that um, we're transitioning from, uh, you know, miners just being compensated from the block subsidy reward, which is 6.25 Bitcoin per block right now to uh, individual transactions uh, completely compensating the miners. And so, uh, yeah, okay, Matt's got it on the screen now. This is the three-month uh, mempool space graph. Um, and you guys can uh, uh, view this uh, on our website. Um, but, but yeah, the, the mempool hasn't cleared in the past, looks like about two and a half months now. And this is very good. This is very healthy for Bitcoin because uh, there is so much demand that now the users are willing to compensate the miners directly. You know, this fee market is starting to develop. And, uh, you know, some users uh, aren't so happy about this, right? Because up until a few months ago, you could always uh, pretty much just create a one sat per byte transaction and just wait. And this is this is created like a false, uh, you know, meme. And uh, you can't do that anymore, right? Like now, if you make a one sat transaction, it'll get rejected or purged from the mempool. Uh, I think the minimum is, is a few sats now, right? So... And you guys added that to the to the front page of Mempool. Yeah, that was um, that was an important feature uh, we added to kind of visualize that and more importantly educate users um, that it's that you know the fee market is changing, the fee market is developing now. So you have to 
pay uh, the current market rates if you want your transaction fee, if you want your transaction to get mined into a block. And if you don't, it'll get stuck in the mempool. And, uh, you know, users uh, screw up their transaction all the time. And, you know, they're, they're worried, oh, my God, did I lose my funds? What's happening? How do I fix my wallet? Because not all wallet apps, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of wallets uh, don't support rebroadcasting transactions or bumping the fee of transactions, kind of just uh, they were kind of developed uh, in a time where you could where your transaction would always get confirmed. And that's no longer the case. Now your transaction might not get confirmed if you didn't use a high enough fee. It might get purged from the mempool. I mean, this and is so only you, like the second or third time, right? Where we're like really in a situation where that's the case, right? Exactly. But as more and more people uh, use Bitcoin transactions, uh, this, you know, there's more and more demand for the uh, space in the Bitcoin blockchain. And, uh, you know, the, we have some really great developers working on, uh, you know, things like SegWit and Taproot and Lightning and the upper layers of this Bitcoin stack that's developing. So it all kind of uh, optimizes the usage of the space in the Bitcoin blockchain, right? Each transaction is using less space or you can uh, make many transactions in a single tracks transaction now using various technologies. And so... Uh, you know, the, the fees will, or the, the on-chain usage in uh, how many bytes you use in the, in the Bitcoin blockchain will go down over time, but the price per byte will increase not only in the number of Satoshis that you're going to pay per byte, but the, obviously the price of Bitcoin in fiat value is also going up. And so those two numbers kind of multiply each other. Um, about uh, a few years ago, you could do a Bitcoin transaction for five cents. Now, the minimum you can pay is usually about $5. And in a few years, it's conceivable that this could also, you know, see another 100x increase to, you know, hundreds of dollars for a single Bitcoin transaction, which is what we saw back in uh, 2017 or 2018. If you were doing a large transaction, uh, sometimes it could be like $100, right? And that's simply due to the market demand um, and uh, the price of Bitcoin multiplying each other. One really good thing about uh, having a fee market is that uh, more important transactions are pricing out the more wasteful transactions. And people, uh, we see a lot of people doing legacy transactions and stuff, not using SegWit. And that means the fees are still too low. It doesn't hurt enough for them to actually upgrade to a SegWit wallet or something like that, or for exchanges to invest in the new infrastructure with SegWit. We have to, the fees have to go up for that to happen, I think. There's like a threshold when it starts hurting too much, people need to switch to Lightning. And then the the block space and the blockchain will be used so much more efficiently. More more stuff. Exchanges, like they could send, they could maybe send uh, using liquid between exchanges. That would um, reduce a lot of blockchain waste. But I mean, this is the whole point, right? So the whole point yeah. is that fees create this incentive for them to be more efficient. If if they were paying the same amount all the time, then they wouldn't have any reason to um, improve their efficiency. But okay. that also means that it's a slow process, right? Like they they first need to feel the pain and then they actually need to make it a priority and like actually execute, right? Because like these exchanges are, you know, especially someone like a Coinbase is, 
they're they're massive institutions and and they're a lot of them are very distracted with shit coins and all their bullshit shit coin integrations uh so it takes a while for them to actually integrate but if they don't it will slowly eat away at their business um yep. and it will force them to be efficient now so i changed uh for the the viewers who are, are watching us this live or or after the fact through the video stream i changed the view on mempool.space to the one year view and you can really see um, that we have this massive wave of transactions coming in. And, and this is something that I've expected for a while. And it's, it's pretty funny because um, a lot of people said, you know, there was a lot of concern trolling during the bear market. Uh, we won't have enough fee pressure to sustain Bitcoin when uh, the block subsidy decreases. So right now the, the miners get, get paid two things. They get paid um, the, the, the block subsidy, uh, which, which happens every block and 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 that's what the having happens when it gets cut in half um and then and then you they also have the fees and what happens is as that that subsidy gets cut in half the fees are going to have to take over um so there was a lot of concern trolling that the fees wouldn't be able to take over and i always said that whole time i was like i'm not going to concern myself with your concern trolling here because i know in a couple of years the concern trolling is going to be that fees are too high and and as we see on this chart there's this massive increase and this is what people don't realize, you know, about humble, humble Matt during the bear market versus humble Matt during the bull market. I mean, I'm not saying I'm humble, like I need to work on that still. But um, if you have a massive wave coming in, if you have a massive wave coming in and you're sitting on shore, the humble move isn't to just sit there in lowercase and let the wave crash on top of you. The humble move is to fucking go all caps and get ready to ride that fucking wave because that wave is coming. Yeah, I, I guess um, for many people, if you know, if you're new to Bitcoin, um, the the fees probably seem expensive, and uh, you don't understand why it's it's so expensive. And uh, like Simon was saying, it's the the pain will financially incentivize you to uh, basically migrate to layer two uh, payment networks for your transactions. So if if you want to buy a coffee at the bar. You know, you're not going to spend a $10 transaction fee for a $5 coffee. But if you go to that cafe all the time, you probably just open up a lightning channel to that cafe and then you basically get free transactions with them after that. So uh, it, it, it's um, it's a good financial incentive for everyone to optimize their on-chain usage because right now, I mean, the Raspberry Pi can um, just barely kind of run a Bitcoin core node and, and uh, a few other apps on top of it. Um, and so I guess, I guess um, if you want to talk about the, uh, the Bitcoin full stack a little bit, there's these uh, really cool solutions like Umbrel and uh, Raspi Blitz and Ronin Dojo and MyNode. And even BTC Pay Server uh, has this Docker um, kind of e ecosystem with different apps on it. But they're all kind of the same thing in the sense that uh, you can you can a very inexpensive Raspberry Pi, uh, load all of your, you know, Bitcoin apps on it, have everything self-hosted, be everything self-sovereign. You don't have any security or privacy concerns. You can run everything off of Tor if you want. And uh, this is this is the real way to use Bitcoin. This is the this is the dream, right? This is the original vision of uh, yeah. having a cheap node like $100 or $200 where um, you can run everything. And now uh, you can even run mempool space uh, on Raspberry Pi, which was the original vision of, of the project and, and why we started working together. 
Um, Simon, what do you, what did you want to say about that? Yeah, I want to say that we worked really hard. I worked really hard uh, uh, late last year to make the mempool space website work on a Raspberry Pi with just Bitcoin Core and the Electrum server for transaction uh, address lookups. So it really feels humbling and I'm really happy when I see tw the tweets past few days, seeing people tweeting out, hey, I'm running my own mempool space on my own node. So that's yeah. But yeah, so so th that's one that's one of the coolest things that happened. So that's another thing uh, that people don't realize that haven't been through these bull cycles in the past. Like the real, the real productive things that happen, happen when the price is going down and we have like peace, right. And we have peace and quiet. I feel like these, these, these months that we have every four years that we just rip like crazy is you kind of just like batten down the hatches. And like, honestly, like I, I appreciate the work that people do to bring in newcomers and stuff. Like those newcomers aren't going to find their feet until after the crash of this cycle and 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 things settle down. But one of the coolest parts about this bear cycle is this push to become uh, more self-sovereign for the average user. It's just very easy, way easier to self-host. And one yeah. of the reasons isn't just um, developers such as yourselves that have made their stacks more efficient. Um, it's, it was that the Raspberry Pi, the new Raspberry Pi is way more performant than previous Raspberry Pis. And the combination of the two has resulted in these software stacks that you're talking about, like Umbral and Ronin Dojo and MyNode um, and Noddle that, that, al that allow you to basically run these different packages um, relatively easy on, on open hardware. Um, I mean, the Noddle is the, the only one that is is you buy a pre-built, but the other ones, you just buy a Raspberry Pi and you can just run the software. So now, so, the, so why would someone do that? And the reason someone would do that is because to interact with the Bitcoin network, you have to use a node. And if you're using someone else's node, you have to trust that node. You have to trust that that node is enforcing the rules of the Bitcoin network, and you have to trust that node with your privacy. That also goes for all the services you use on top of it. So when you go to something like mempool.space, the official third-party mempool.space, you are trusting Simon and Wiz with your with your anything any data you put in there. You're trusting them with it. You put in an address and you have your IP address, your public IP address. When you're connecting to it, you're connecting those two things, and you're hoping that they're not logging that data. I don't think they're logging that data. I don't think Blockstream's logging that data. But you have to operate under the assumption that they are. So, what is the solution for an average Bitcoin? You have basically two different paths you can go. You can use something like Tor or a shared VPN. Um, to access uh, something like mempool.space. And that way, at least they don't have your IP address. But if you don't keep changing circuits, they can still connect your addresses together. If you do two addresses, you search two addresses at the same time, they might be able to connect those. The more clean solution is to run a local copy of mempool. And, and that's one of the coolest parts about, about, about your project is that you do have it open um, and you have just recently added it to Umbral. So now someone who's running an Umbral node can simply go into this Umbral app store, which is different than any other app store that, that, that people might be familiar with in that it's all open source software, um, that Umbral is not a, a permission gatekeeper in the way they handle it. Um, but you can just basically point and click, right? And, and, and run your own version of Mempool on Umbral and you can even remotely connect to it through Tor. Right. Yeah. It's also available on uh, Raspberry Blitz right now, which I am running pers personally 
like that uh, that one the most right now but um yeah it's uh i think it's starting to get that simple um you just buy the hardware you just boot up umbrella and you're good to go you just click install and you're you're there you can connect your wallet to it maybe electrum for example is very easy so you can make transactions with your electrum wallet and uh, everything goes through your node and you can track your transactions in mempool and that's also to your node and then you get that feeling of self self-sovereignty and once you go self-sovereign you never go back i think yeah, I'm a huge fan of the Umbrel of the Umbrel project. I mean, they, uh, you know, the other Ras the other Raspberry Pi distributions are also great, but for a real non-technical person who wants to get uh, started with self-hosting, it's it's literally one click to install Mempool. I mean, it doesn't get uh, easier than that. And uh, you know, you, you know, when you when you want to like seduce uh, newbies to to become like cypherpunks and self-sovereign people, this is the way I feel you have to do it. You have to uh, have such a, a sexy UI and a slick user experience so yeah. that they can uh, very, very easily get started. And then they can level up from there. Like, okay, maybe I don't want to use the app store. Maybe I want to compile everything from source. You know, you can, you can level up on your own speed if you uh, so desire. But, uh, but yeah, all the, all the apps on there are great. And, that was the original like uh, meme of Bitcoin, right? It says like Bitcoin, be your own bank. Well, now if you install BTC Pay, you can be your own payment processor. If you install Mempool, you can have your own block explorer, your Mempool visualizer. If you install, um, you know, BISC isn't an app on for Raspberry Pis yet, but once we get that working, then you'll be your own Bitcoin exchange, right? So all of these apps uh, kind of build on top of the Bitcoin full stack where you have Bitcoin Core or lightning node um, as the lower layers and these uh, apps, the higher layers. And uh, it, it's really beautiful uh, when everything, because that was another original meme of Bitcoin. They said, not your keys, not your Bitcoin, but it's not enough. Um, like so for security concerns, having your, your own Bitcoin on your own keys is great. But for privacy concerns, you also want to use your own full node. So if it's like not your hardware, not your, you know, XPUB privacy. I don't have a cool meme for that, but but the the idea is the same. Is you, you not only want everything to be on your own keys, but also on your own hardware. And so all of these open source projects, you know, they're really geeky and hard to run, but not anymore. Now you can, you know, one click install all these apps, and that's uh, really really bullish for uh, self sovereignty with regular Bitcoiners. Yeah, so I mean, I brought a little bit of shame on my family, Simon, for not mentioning Raspberry Blitz. Raspberry Blitz is probably the most featureful version of all of these packages. Um, it is for more advanced users, but I think it's easier than people think it is. Um, but I would agree with Wiz that Umbral is extremely promising. Um, I try not to pick favorites because I just I love that we have all these different teams working on these competing platforms. Um, and honestly, I think that as you become more advanced as a user, you might have dedicated device. You might have multiple. So, so we have uh, UTS nine asked um, in the comments um, if this opens you up to more attack vectors because you have more software running uh, where your Bitcoin node is running. And I mean, I think that's a perfect example where, as you become more advanced, if you have situations where you do have a hot wallet, which a, a normal on-chain Bitcoin user should never have a hot wallet really on their 
Um, they should never have their wallet on the same node as in the same machine as as Bitcoin Core um, because then it's hot. Um, but when it comes to Lightning or CoinJoin, um, you, you're, you're going to have you're going to have uh, funds hot. So you might want to have multiple devices. You might be running multiple of these different packages. Like I, I'm right now, I'm looking at, I'm running multiple uh, and I'm using multiple because you want to have like dedicated for your lightning and you want to have dedicated for your 24 seven coin joint to reduce your, your attack surface a bit. Um, but I, I honestly, I, I, I am blown away. I think Umbral makes the accessibility way, 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 way easier. Like I think the, the simple thing that they, this idea, I don't know, it's kind of gone understated that people aren't talking about this idea that they derive all, um, they derive like everything comes as a child secret of your main seed. So the whole thing is backed up by just this one master seed. Um, and I, maybe it's mixed with like, and they also have a cloud backup system in place. So anything yeah, that needs to be active, like your lightning can be active, actively backed up. And then everything is derivative of the seed. So then all the user really needs on the surfaces, they're putting in these words and everything's backed up for them. Yeah, I, I see a lot of uh, comments. Uh, you know, many smart people say, well, doesn't this increase your attack vector or, you know, everything is a trade-off at the end of the day. If you want the most hardcore secure setup, that's not you know, like some uh, app store, quote unquote, app store thing, right? The, the point of the app store is you're optimizing for the user experience, one click installation. If, you're, if your uh, threat model is, you know, some nation state is going to be going after your uh, transactions or, or whatever, then yeah, maybe some one click Raspberry Pi thing is not for you. But if you're an average Bitcoiner and you just want to stack sats without the government knowing about it, Umbrella is perfect. And like you can level up from there, right? It's just something to to kind of seduce people into getting started with self-sovereignty. It's a good stepping stone or long, even long-term solution if, if uh, it meets your use case. And, you know, all of these uh, community projects are very uh, pure, right? Like the community um, that that's, you know, there, there's this, this really beautiful community of open source developers uh, everyone kind of knows each other and, you know, collaborates with each other and, and, um, all the projects, uh, align themselves with the interests of the Bitcoin community. And a lot of them are, are, uh, directly funded by the Bitcoin community in various ways. Like, um, for example, BTC pay made a foundation and they got big grants from like square and, and Kraken and, and, uh, all these other corporate sponsors and, uh, mempool spaces is, is, has just gotten a ton of love from the community uh, even now while while uh, we're on this show someone uh, sent me like some money so so just you know just like huge love uh, from all the, the community like you you guys are creating this huge financial incentive for us to keep everything honest and for us to keep working hard on the project and keep um, you know, giving the community exactly what it wants. And so we don't have to put any, you know, shit coins or advertisements or anything that would ruin the project or the, the experience of the, the overall, um, you know, just this app ecosystem. And, and that's why it works is because we're all of our interests are aligned, right? Like um, there's no like evil companies here. Whereas if, you know, you, you put your, your content on YouTube, 
you YouTube doesn't you know care about you. They care about monetizing your content, uh, and or you know they'll they'll harvest all of your private data, whatever you know. The interests are are kind of opposite, right? The interests of YouTube are to the shareholders of YouTube, right? Not to the users of YouTube. But with Bitcoin community, um, these open source apps can exist where uh, all of our interests are aligned. Yeah, it looks like uh, Matt's uh, Matt's bringing up the sponsors page here on the the live stream. But the yeah, we've we've got uh, like a hundred people um, or something now that all donated like a million sats each. And the best and, part of uh, the scam was you got us to donate before the price run up. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that that's true. We set the I think it was like a hundred bucks when we first launched this sponsors feature. And so I guess Bitcoin is about <laughs> 10 grand. Now, now it's 500 for the price run up as well, right? Yeah, but 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 still, I mean, we get sponsors. Um, I mean, we got a sponsor like a few hours ago. So people are um, are really uh, sending their love both, you know, in with their words and with their with their sats. And this this allows us to basically work full time directly for the Bitcoin community and uh, it, it's the most heartwarming, uh, humbling thing. Like Simon, you know, tells me, like Simon, what do you, what do you think about our uh, project funding situation? <laughs> yeah, I was uh, totally mind blown by the sponsors because I I didn't think we would get that many when you told me to make that feature. But um, yeah, I. Well. So let's talk about that, Simon, because uh, I mean, this is something that people talk about all the time is is yeah. the difficulty in funding open source work, um, that there's no easy uh, monetization strategy for open source. And that is going to be the death knell for open source. I mean, uh, Bitcoiners obviously would say we've watched open source flourish um in the bitcoin ecosystem but but it, it definitely is a concern for a lot of people do you think this is something that the way you guys set up the sponsors is something that other open source projects in the space should consider well maybe i i, I didn't expect uh, to receive a lot of uh, sponsors and stuff when i uh, was building the site it was just on all my out of my own pocket and spare time and stuff uh, I was just super happy when we offered to host the website for free, so I didn't have to pay for some hosting. <laughs> like everything was Got settled, him. everything is done. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess and, in the beginning um, we had to kind of bootstrap it, right? Like uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to think of how many sats I spent on server parts and stuff. But yeah, in the beginning, before the site was, uh, I guess, like the the level that it is now of, of uh, speed and user experience and all the features we have. In the beginning, of course, you know, we had to work on it for a couple of years just uh, out of our own savings or, or whatnot. But um, once the site was uh, very useful and there was a lot of people using it, I said to Simon, like, hey, what, let's let's make this sponsor program. Like, uh, we'll, you know, we'll let the, the users who sponsor us have their profile photo on the web, on the website directly so they can be part of the project and uh you know it's been extremely successful it, like just from the individual community sponsors it basically uh covers all the operational expenses of uh running the site and simon and i can even you know get get a little bit of salary from it too so it, it's uh it's like we're directly working for the bitcoin community and that is 
the the dream that is the real um the real dream so i mean so bitcoin basically solved two things right bitcoin allows people to receive funding in a permissionless relatively private manner um which is key for open source development because um you know, users don't want to dox themselves to the developers. And a lot of times the developers don't want to, you know, dox themselves to the users. Um, and, and one of the reasons open source development is, is, is more censorship resistant than uh, closed source development is because the devs might not be known. They might be NIMS. Um, so that's one main thing that Bitcoin has, has helped in just terms of open source. And then the second main thing is that because Bitcoin is designed to pump forever, you have these people that are very pro free open source software um, that are getting rich and they have the money to spend. So, um, I mean, Wiz separated it out between the sponsors and him bootstrapping it. But really, Wiz was the first sponsor. Like Simon, Simon created uh, this tool and Wiz came along and was like, I have Bitcoin. I want to fund you. This is a dope project. I want to be a part of it. And he basically set the groundwork for other Bitcoiners coming in later when the, the official sponsor page came up, right? To, to come in and, and, and take, take the ball, right? I mean, to be clear, Matt, I don't have any Bitcoin. I lost it all in a boating accident. <laughs> I thought we were very clear on this. I, lost, I actually lost all my Bitcoin in a very obscure cold card hack. That's, oh, yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, the, you know, <laughs> very, I cold very, card was, was very secure, though. How can you know, it was, who who could have known? Who could have known? It was a it was a hard a hard attack to pull off, but they somehow pulled it off against me. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but but that's that's true. Right? Like uh, sixty one hundred two is saying in the comments right now, to do uh, to get you know paid or compensated for open source work, um, and this is something that's really true in it with the with the BISC project too, is that you never get paid um, before. The, the, the work is completely done and shipped and users are using it, right? Otherwise, um, the, the incentive structure kind of falls apart. If you, you know, if, if I'm going to hire someone and pay them a full-time salary, um, there's no incentive for them to ship a high-quality project because they're just going to get their paycheck no matter what. And if you prepay something, you know, like, it, you know, they're just going to ship whatever. But if you... If you build something and you just passionately work on it and make it great and everyone loves it and then the community voluntarily on their own uh, compensates you, they're not, they're, I guess they're not really paying for the work you've already done, but they're kind of paying you for the next version, right? They're kind of like saying, we like this and we want you to keep working on it. We want you to keep operating it. Um, and and that's uh, how the opens. That's how you get funded for an open source. So race. I mean, I guess. So I, I had I had the two facets that Bitcoin has changed open source funding, right? Uh, but really, it's three facets, right? So you have you have uh, you have the fact that it's easier to fund developers. You have the fact that Bitcoiners are getting rich, and then you have the third fact that a lot of those Bitcoiners are developers, right? So if if they are holding Bitcoin. Um, they're seeing their value increase. Uh, they are mission driven by, you know, they're ideologically driven by the Bitcoin project and they want to improve it. Um, so, so you basically have these threefold things, right? I mean, I mean, Simon wasn't, I mean, I know Simon has no Bitcoin now, but when Simon first started working on the project, he was working on the project because not only did he own Bitcoin, 
but he wanted to see it succeed and he believed in the mission. Right. So it, it's, um, in a lot of like, there's so many ways that people really underestimate how Bitcoin, uh, improves the, the free open source landscape. And, you know, you see a lot of VCs and stuff, they go down this rabbit hole where, Oh, like blockchain solves, uh, open source funding because like any dev can make some shit token, but really the hard shit was, was, was the, the, the real substantive shit was solved by Bitcoin existing in the first place. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I guess, um, I guess, yeah, some people, some people consider it. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, we, we're also kind of taking fiat donations now, like the uh, GitHub sponsors program. We just signed up for that a few days ago. And uh, I think we're starting to get some fiat uh, donations on there, but yeah, like 99% of the funds uh, that we receive from the community are of course in, in Bitcoin. And it was so easy for, uh, you know, Simon and I to just make like a multi-sig wallet together. Like, yeah, let's, you know, hook it to a BTC payback end. Let's integrate it into the site. And, uh, you know, you're instantly set up. Um, so it's, it's very easy to get started. And if you're really uh, if you really work hard for the Bitcoin community, like BISC is a, is a great example. Um, they uh, they compensate you uh, in their own um, form of equity, which is kind of like a colored Bitcoin um, called BSQ. And uh, it it's not like a shitcoin or anything. It's just this uh, token that's used you know, internally between the developers. But basically, I contributed to BISC for the past, uh, I guess, almost two years now. And that compensation that I've got from BISC um, was far greater than what I would have earned, you know, working like a full-time job at Google or something, just from the... Uh, Wait, not just only from the shitcoin. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, it's mostly from Bitcoin going up, right? I mean, the 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 price of of the BSQ in in Sats has been relatively stable. Uh, this is I think why it's I like love 60. this show because I have my it's friends like... on, so I can I can rib you. Uh, what what uh why 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 isn't the BIS token a shitcoin? Well, BISC is not a company, right? It's kind of like uh, okay, take take the. Uh, Take the shares of Kraken, for example, right? Kraken is a company. They have uh, venture capital investments and, and all those investors hold shares in Kraken. Well, BISC is not a company. And so for the founders and developers and contributors to BISC, the way they have equity is they just use colored Bitcoin. So are shares in a company a shitcoin? Well, it's more like a security or something, right? But it's, <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, just because it's on a blockchain, just because we call it a, a token or something, does it like a uh, shitcoin is uh, a good example of shitcoin is like Ripple, right? They just print these tokens with a huge pre mine and then uh, use marketing and uh, bots, you know, to trade on the exchange and kind of make all this fake volume and pump the price and whatnot and just dump it on newbies for literally nothing, right? And then everyone loses their money. That's a shitcoin scam. Before we continue, I just want to um, there's no sponsors of the show. So I just want to just just play a quick clip um, from the BIS community. There are many places to buy Bitcoin. They collect your personal information and jeopardize your privacy. KYC is the illicit activity. BISC is open source. It does not collect user data. You keep your private keys, create or take offers to trade peer-to-peer, -peer, and keep your Bitcoin private and secure. 
I love that ad. So shout, shout out, out to uh, Pedro. Pedro. Yeah. Yeah, Pedro's awesome. Uh, he's here Pedro's in the chat. Pedro's been helping us a lot. Pedro's uh, been been like uh, helping us um, with some design work for Mempool, and uh, he's also the designer for Bisk. He made the logo of the T-shirt that I'm wearing right now, and uh, he's also helping me with my uh, book cover design for the Bitcoin Standard Japanese version. And basically, he's just designing all the Bitcoin projects, and he's uh, he's even sponsored Mempool twice. It's kind of funny if you look on our sponsor page. <laughs> He loves Mempool so much. He sponsored us twice. So just huge love to Pedro, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm big, big fan. He's, 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 he's a good friend. I consider him a good friend. And uh, I just want to say, like, it's very unique uh, in the open source space to have such a boss fucking video for, for an open source project. Uh, that is really rare. Um, so I just, I play that whenever I get the chance. I get a little drunk on Twitter and it just goes up. It's just like automatic. Um, but I, I think so. The key aspect here about BISC is BISC is is meant to be a distributed exchange, um, and as such, um, they found you know they had this need for this token um, to basically spread out the fees that the exchange receives and incentivize further development and progress for the network. Um, so it really depends on what your definition of a shitcoin is. Um, you know, if, if, if your definition of a shitcoin is that it's going to trend to zero in terms of Bitcoin long term, uh, then the Chrysler building is a shitcoin and BIS token is also a shitcoin. It will, you're probably better off holding Bitcoin um, than the BIS token. You're probably better off holding Bitcoin than the Chrysler building. Um, but in terms of a token that doesn't um, attempt to oversell itself, doesn't have a pre sale, doesn't have, um, doesn't lie about trade-offs provides like an actual utility uh that is that is needed um i mean i don't think people can disagree that having a censorship resistant uh p2p global exchange that doesn't have kyc uh is important in today's age uh can go fuck themselves like obviously it is important um would you disagree with me there Wiz? yeah no i mean the only way to that uh, BSQ is created is when you make a contribution to the BISC project and the community collectively approves your uh, contribution. And then you can issue yourself a little bit of BSQ. You can color some of your own sats into the colored Bitcoin. That's BSQ. And uh, by all means, don't, don't, uh, don't use BSQ. Uh, just if you're going to use BISC, just, you know, uh, keep everything in Bitcoin. It's just an internal thing for the developers to kind of, because uh, BISC is a profitable business, right? It's, this is peer-to-peer exchange network, and every every time someone trades on the exchange, um, uh, they you know basically make a donation to the BISC DAO, and then from those funds, BISC can kind of uh, buy the BSQ back from the contributors, and uh, that's how BISC contributors get paid directly from the community. So the BISC DAO also is community funded, uh, just they have a much more advanced uh, system, which is very innovative. I mean, they're probably the first like real uh, decentralized, uh, you know, autonomous organization that, that governs itself and everything. But uh, it you, works we, because you mean a DAO? Yes. And uh, do we not? We, we don't call it DAOs anymore after the incident. Yeah, no, this is legit. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, um, it, it's not only the first. I mean, I would say the first real DAO is Bitcoin. Um, Sure. Maybe BISC is the second real DAO, and 
Um, it's definitely the first real decentralized exchange. So we hear decentralized exchange all the time. Most of the time it's bullshit. Uh, with BISC, it is the real deal. And as Wiz said, I think that is an important thing to keep in mind is that there's no gatekeeping with this token, which you see a lot with shit coins. Is like, You can use BISC and never, uh, you, you don't even need to know the token exists. Right. I mean, if, if you want to stack sats without uh, the IRS knowing about it, BISC is perfect. And as, as you pointed out on Twitter the other day, uh, or, or actually someone, I think someone tweeted at the BISC account, they said um, the price is a little bit higher on BISC because all the other exchanges are giving you a discount for your uh, personal data and your KYC and your, your transaction information and because they're going to snitch on you to the government, right? And so the the actual price of bitcoin is a little bit higher there's there's like a couple of percent of premium on this because there's no kyc and only you know you you're only your trading partner uh would know your your details or whatever so this is you know uh wiz said the the new matt odell show this is also the new 6102 show uh part of the reason <laughs> this format exists is because he's able to contribute live uh via text and not dox his voice uh, the only time he ever doxed his voice was on the Stefan Levera podcast. So if you want to go listen to his voice, uh, go check out 6102 on <laughs> Stefan Levera. But he's saying right now that BSQ is is basically a donation multisig with flexible membership. Um, and and if anyone knows 6102, like if 6102 is defending your shitcoin, then it probably isn't a shitcoin. Yeah, the the and um, just to so just to kind of explain how the the projects are connected. Um, which, by the way, uh, isn't 6102 your pseudonym? Or, sorry, I didn't mean to dox you there. But uh, I yeah, don't have any Mem Bitcoin, and I have no NIMS. Okay, right, me too. And so Mempool is the official explorer of BISC, and that was one of the first uh, really cool collaborations that we did, where um, BISC didn't have a, a really uh, you know nice tool to view all the trades and everything, and so. Um, that was the first, I guess, layer two network, if you want to call it BISC. Um, we, we added that. So now you can view all the BISC trades and, and transactions on our mempool space explorer. And so that was the first real community funding where one open source project funded another open source project, right? The, the mempool project got some compensation from the BISC DAO, which I just thought was the most, you know, beautiful, pure uh, Bitcoin, uh, you know, thing ever and so now we're, we're getting sponsored just directly by the community which is, is even is even cooler right are are you gonna uh i guess if you don't have any sponsors for this show matt are you gonna be taking like uh individual i guess patreon or some some kind of sponsor program patreon for this show? are you fucking kidding me <laughs> um i don't i don't know what i'm doing yet i'm enjoying that i can just do copyright infringement and shit and just have flexibility so i don't even know you know User users can 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 uh, listeners can contribute if they enjoy dispatch. They they I I love I appreciate any sats that you throw my way. Um, I will hodl onto those sats. They will go to my grandkids, and you can hit that on stack stacksips.com. Um, I have my links over there, and Citadel Dispatch also has the links citadeldispatch.com. But I'm I'm just trying. You know, let's be honest, right? Like, why are we here? We're here to make fuck you money the standard. And um, what, what's the point of fuck you money if you don't have a show where you can't just say whatever the fuck you want to say? Yeah, no, this is this is definitely the the most pure uh, Bitcoin podcast with 
with no sponsors. It's it really feels like a Citadel dispatch. It's kind of like, um, do you remember when Netflix used to uh, mail DVDs through the mail, and now it's actually on the internet? Now it's like this show is Citadel Dispatch, but in the future it will literally be a dispatch from a real Bitcoin Citadel. I can feel the the energy from this show. Yeah, I'm gonna need you and like Keto to like help me with the networking and whatnot, and we'll just broadcast all the Citadels globally. Dude, we'll do like a pirate radio show. We'll just broadcast over the airwaves. <laughs> um, so right now for the the viewers, I have uh, Mempool's BISC integration is is up on the screen share. Um, yeah, so this is the first iteration. Um, Simon could probably talk about more what we're working on for the uh, the BISC dashboard. But uh, as a start, you know, you could just see all the trades and uh, Kind of like the governance transactions of the DAO. So if you click on the filter, you can you can go to like um, you know voting or, or or different things. That's how they make decisions. But uh, yeah, th this is the first really cool uh, integration we did. Simon, do you have, you want to talk about this? Yeah, I think you said everything there. This <laughs> um, um, had an old. Uh, an old website for their explorers. So we uh, basically made a new one and integrated it to Mempool. And because the goal of the Mempool project is what I, is to make an ex have an explorer for the whole upper layer of the Bitcoin ecosystems. You want to support everything, all the upper networks. Like we support BISC, Liquid, Testnet, and we hopefully can add Lightning and some other one in the future. Yeah, I'm also a big fan of Liquid. And actually, I'm. Uh... A member of the Liquid Federation and on. The wait, wait. Board. Let's talk about that, Wiz, because the Liquid Federation is, uh, it's like all corporations. It's like global corporations, and then it's just like Wiz. Like, <laughs> there's just we we have like all these global Bitcoin focused corporations, and then Wiz is one of the federate federated uh, members. Uh, yeah. So how the, of... how the fuck does that happen? Yeah, I guess it's kind of a joke. Um, in the in the board meetings, they're like. Uh, so what company are you with again? You know, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I I I'd like to think that I um, you know, am just an ind individual Bitcoiner, uh, you know, uh, participating in this federation. Um, I, I really feel there aren't enough cypherpunks in this. Um, I mean, it's it, like okay. So first of all, it's a layer two network, right? Um, if fees, if, if you want to, if you want to do small transactions, uh, if you want to do lots of transactions, if you want to do confidential transactions, even they have um, uh, a little bit of base layer privacy in the uh, the Element sidechain project, which Liquid is a specific instance of. Um, it's a great layer two network that has a real blockchain, right? Because if you want to do Lightning uh, for coffee, it's great. But if you want to do Lightning for large amounts of of funds, you you need like something like liquid where it's um, on an actual blockchain and you don't have to worry about routing issues or capacity issues. And of course the trade-off for all that is the uh, uh, security model, which is kind of like this very complicated uh, 11 of 15 multi-sig uh, where it's kind of like this, uh, it's a federation, right? It's this collective custodial model where the federation collectively you can peg in Bitcoin into the liquid network, do your transactions, and then when you're done, peg out back into into Bitcoin base layer. Blockchain. Well, I mean, the idea, right? The idea is that you have this 
there's this trade-off balance, right? Where you have uh, censorship resistance, distrib distribution, uh, you know, decentralization versus transaction cost. Uh, and, and, and basically what Liquid is saying is, Liquid is saying, maybe we don't have to be as censorship resistant. Maybe we don't have to be as distributed. We could be a little bit centralized. And as a result, we can be faster and cheaper, right? Is that like the, the basic uh, shill? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes sense for a lot of use cases. And if you, by all means, if you need the censorship resistance and security that the Bitcoin blockchain provides, they go right ahead and pay the on-chain fees to use Bitcoin directly. But if you're going to, uh, if, you, if you wanna use a layer two sidechain like Liquid, and you you know you often do transactions between various uh, exchanges or whatever other members of the that are in the liquid federation or even between individuals um if you just want to settle on a thing it's a great layer to um, so block Wiz, i i'm sorry for cutting you off i i i go back and forth on liquid and uh the freaks have witnessed this uh themselves um i the i so right now i have bisc up right i have bisc up uh the liquid explorer for bisc uh for the most recent block of liquid and it has two transactions really it has one transaction it, because the <laughs> one of the transactions is the coinbase transaction and there's always a coinbase transaction every block um, you, uh, you know, in Bitcoin, that pays the miner. In this case, I guess it pays like a federation partner or something, right? I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm glad 6102 is still here. He gave you the pass on on BISC being a shitcoin, but he he does not give you a pass on LBTC being a shitcoin, if anyone knows 6102. Um, why have we not seen, you know, do, are we going to, like when fees go up, are we going to see more people use liquid like there no one is using it right now and 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 one of the key selling points of liquid is this confidential transactions where the the amount is blinded uh that you're sending so if i send you uh a million sats on liquid you can't tell that i sent the million sats you can you can still see i send from address to address like you can with bitcoin but you can't see the amount um that benefit is reduced if no one is fucking using it i mean like some of the like people use Dogecoin more than this shit. Well, I, I, there's a lot of uh, things. So first of all, Liquid has one minute block times, which is why you don't see so many transactions in each yeah, block. But still, you... no one's using it. Like, look, we sure. go back. Like, look at the latest transactions. Like, I mean, you could you could say that a lot about a lot of things that uh, were built for Bitcoin. Like, you know, three years ago, you never cared about the mempool because it was always empty and always cleared out every block. Now, when the fees are getting expensive, now this creates a reason why you use liquid. So as you mentioned before, when uh, in the bear market, that's when you build things, right? And you know, liquid was built by very, very smart people at Blockstream who you know, came up with this sidechain technology and they, they put all these really cool features into it. And they launched it with, they got all these uh, members on board so you can interact with all these exchanges. And now, finally, as we've seen in the past two and a half months, when the mempool doesn't clear anymore and transactions are starting to get very expensive, now there's an actual uh, use case for layer two networks, right? I mean, how many lightning transactions did you do last year? Maybe, you know, 
maybe you did a lot more match. than my liquid transactions. Sure, and and like I said, if if you wanna if you wanna send money in between, uh, there's there's different use cases for Lightning, and there's different use cases for Liquid. And if you wanna buy a, a coffee at the bar, sure, use Liquid. If you wanna send, you know, a hundred grand between exchanges and have a one minute confirmation time and confidential transactions, then Liquid is the better use case, right? And it, it's you, you gotta use oh, the right. So you meant the first the one. You meant Lightning. You meant Lightning for the first one, right? Yes, yeah, sorry. So, so you got to use the right tool for the job, right? It's it's not about like Liquid is the the tool for everyone for all use cases, or Lightning is the tool for all use cases. It's uh, sometimes it makes sense to do an on-chain transaction. Sometimes it makes sense to use Lightning. Sometimes it makes sense to use Liquid. Uh, sometimes it makes sense to trade on Bisc. Sometimes it makes sense to trade on a centralized exchange. You know, there's Wait. there's pros. I love you. I love you. You're a massive liquid bull. Uh, you've always has been, and I, I appreciate that consistency. Simon, where do you stand here? What do you What do you think? Do you think there's a place for liquid? Do you, Do you think in this fee environment we're going to see liquid transactions go up? Do you think like, as like one of the big things for me that has been sold heavily is this idea that that liquid is is useful for traders going between exchanges. But I, I mean, I think that use case probably gets handled better by by private channels like big private li lightning channels between these exchanges they already have a relationship lightning is the biggest competitor to liquid so as soon as we get this jumbo wumbo channels between exchanges i think liquid there's no use for liquid anymore really but i don't know there might be a use case today i'm not that into liquid how it works and all but uh because it's marketed as this exchange inter-exchange settlement so, thing, right? So what I think they should do, and I've told them this privately, um, yeah. and so now I'm going to start saying it publicly because when it stops working privately, you have to just start saying it publicly on air, um, which is what I've learned. Uh, this is another key of open source development. Um, if, if, if I think they should focus on privacy, um, I think there's a use case for liquid in terms of confidential transactions, like people don't realize, like you can, um, like, like Samson Mao has like his shit token uh, with uh, yeah. Infinite Fleet, his game, right? Mm -hmm. I can coin join with the assets in his game because confidential uh, transactions and confidential assets, which they have on Liquid, mean that you can't tell that I'm just coin joining with a random amount of sats and he's coin joining with some random bullshit uh space uh space plane in his game right and i can coin join between those two things so 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 there's a lot of there's a lot of value there there could be a lot of value there uh for the average user in terms of they don't have to have an online hot wallet all the time they don't have to have they 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 can get they can get easier privacy but they do have this custodial risk. They have this additional custodial risk. I almost think this whole idea that the traders are going to use liquid is completely wrong. They like completely, I think they missed the boat on that. I think maybe in the beginning that would have been the case, but we didn't have the fee pressure. So they just used on chain and now they're just going to use traders are just going to use lightning private channels. They're not even going to, because, because the exchanges, if I'm, if I'm cracking and I have a relationship with Gemini, like I'm going to have like a fucking, you know, million dollar, $2 million, $3 million channel, private channel with them. And we're going to settle that all the time between each other. And, and we'll be fine with that. 
Uh, there's no need for me to involve this federation of corporations that I don't want to deal with. Like, they're like, why would I even fucking do that? Yeah. Well, that, that's a good yeah, analogy. This uh, lightning being used more for this settlement between exchanges. But what I do like about Liquid is filling this gap and killing out, killing all the altcoins. The narrative right. of the altcoins. Like, why use? Because if you, if you look at the, if you go to the website of USD Tether. They have issued their token on, token on all these chains, like Tron. <laughs> like Tron just flipping, Tron just flipping ETH for the yeah, number yeah. one tether yeah. now is on Tron. Liquid. So right. I see no reason why you shouldn't use all your uh, stablecoin transactions on Liquid, for example, which is a very centralized but super speedy blockchain instead of this slow and expensive Ethereum blockchain, which is centralized anyway. So it's just total waste and the whole issuance of and these stable coins are also very uh, centralized they are dependent on these oracles that keep the peg and stuff so um, if so that's one big use case I see for liquid is uh, killing the narratives of the old coins if you're going to use something centralized anyway why not use the liquid on bitcoin so we build everything on top of bitcoin yeah, I think I think that's a good that's a very good point, uh, Simon. Is that uh, Liquid has a lot of the functionality of all of these uh, you know other shitcoin projects without a shitcoin, right? So because Liquid uses Bitcoin as its native token and doesn't have its own native shitcoin, plus having all these confidential transactions, confidential assets. Um, one minute block time, all these cool things, it it just destroys the uh, the justification for 99% of all the other uh, shit coins out there, which is good in itself. But uh, Matt, to answer your question of like, what's a what's a real use case for Liquid? Well, to be honest, the reason I was very interested in Liquid at first was because of BISC. Currently, every BISC trade is four on-chain Bitcoin transactions which until very recently weren't even SegWit. So it was very uh, just unoptimized. And now with the fees rising, uh, BISC trades become extremely expensive uh, simply for the on-chain mining fees. And so it makes a lot of sense for BISC to um, you know, add an option to right. optionally use Liquid's blockchain and use LBTC uh, if the users want it because a big use case of uh, BISC is like, I think just buy like a hundred bucks uh, Bitcoin stacking sats without the government knowing about it. Well, if your on-chain fees are 20 bucks, you're not going to, you know, it's essentially 20% fee to stack a hundred bucks. It totally prices out that use case. And so you can't do a BISC trade on a lightning channel for a lot of uh, technical reasons. Basically, you need a real blockchain, right? If there's any kind of trade dispute, you need to be able to show to the BISC mediator that, you know, here's a TXID link on the mempool space explorer. Here's where I sent the money. Okay. I, you know, that, and that keeps everyone honest. And so it makes a lot of sense for BISC to support a layer two side chain like liquid. Um, if not liquid, maybe, no, you know, its I'm own instance. I mean, so that's a perfect example Wiz, right? Is because uh, like, I think liquid could be ideal for, uh, for bisc um why haven't you guys integrated it like you're 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 pretty you're pretty major on both on both sides i mean you have lbtc enabled in bisc now um well 
it's, why it's, not why it's, not why not tether why don't you have stable you know the stable coins on on liquid integrated into bisque it seems like a perfect fit yeah so so this is um you know there's only 24 hours in the day i mean mm-hmm. bisque is essentially is <laughs> yeah um you know there's only uh what five or six guys that work full-time on bisque uh there's only two guys that work full-time on mempool it's uh, there were some higher priority things like simply adding SegWit into BISC took years, right? And that uh, was very difficult and I had to coordinate a lot of things, but but we got it done and we just shipped SegWit. So, you know, now that the fees are rising, um, the urgency to implement Liquid, of course, I proposed it over a year ago, um, but we just haven't gotten around to it because of the uh, lack of developer resources and also because the fees didn't get so expensive until very recently in the past couple of months. So um, a layer two solution is absolutely needed for BISC. And uh, there, there's also another proposal, uh, very, very uh, technical using bonds and whatnot. But I feel that liquid be, would be the uh, one of the best uh, solutions. So the, the, the token layer makes sense to me. And the token layer for Bitcoin makes sense to me. And, and I've said in the past that, that, uh, that 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 liquid is basically ripple without the shitcoin it's a little unfair to liquid uh because it it is it is a way cleaner code base than uh ripple um but 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 for the average user i think that's like a relatively good way of looking at it is like this idea that you basically traded off centralization um uh you you're accepting some level of centralization for cheaper cheaper transactions and faster transactions um the token idea makes sense to me. Uh, basically, though, the only two things that make sense is like a, a fiat token, which is just a stopgap and like illegal securities, uh, illegal security. I mean, I'm not going to fall into that trap, but unregistered securities, which is, you know, where the best token falls in. And that kind of makes sense to me. Um, it's just weird. It, like, I know the lightning guys are trying to make that a thing as well on lightning. I don't, you know, I'm not that bullish on that. So, so I, I see that happening. And I also see this idea that it's kind of cool that you can like coin join between like you can have BSQ on liquid, you can have tether on liquid, you can have infinite fleets, uh, spaceship on liquid and you can have sats on liquid and you can coin join them all together and no one can tell which is which is, it seems pretty powerful and I'm surprised no one's working on it. They should, they should focus on that. Um, to the, to the viewers who are watching, we, you know, have made a big point on Citadel dispatch to always show the best price. So the best price is currently trading at $52,195. Um, and the evil empire Coinbase is on the top and they're trading at $49,000 right now. Um, so just, just as, just as an update. Um, so I'd like to pivot this conversation a little bit. Um, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, one of the things that I've I've I tried to flex because I just enjoy it. I mean, what what what's the point of all of this if we don't have a good time? Um, I want I have you guys both on my show. I want I want to have you on the record. Do you think Bitcoin is designed to pump forever? And I want to have Simon answer this first. Yeah, of course, <laughs> no doubt. What's the question? <laughs> oh, you, you do you think Bitcoin is designed to pump forever? Yeah. Yeah. That's Until it. Until it powers the whole like, world. Yes. 
right? And then it's gonna appreciate about at the same pace as the um, economic growth, basically. So all the values of all the products and services is gonna be uh, measured in Bitcoin, be about maybe two percent cheaper every year. I agree. <laughs> that 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 is what is going to happen. And I think it to Wiz, are you on, on board with us on this? Well, if you read the Bitcoin standard, uh, you can learn a lot of things about uh, the history of money. And I think one important lesson that I took away from the book was that um, value always moves to the hardest store of value. And so obviously there's, you know, an infinite supply of fiat money. Uh, you can print out is an infinite amount of us dollars so if if you consider quote unquote pump well, what does pump mean if you you mean the price of bitcoin measured well, in um, fiat money yeah i mean i'm being provocative i'm intentionally sure. being provocative and using the word pump i i i don't know if if the freak saw i i nailed an interview with uh anthony scaramucci um and I intentionally knew he was provocative, so I asked him this question, and he he like called me out. He was like, "Well, that's a very provocative word choice you used," but like that's the point, right? Yeah, I, I think it'll increase in purchasing power forever. Right. It's uh, it's it's kind of like the new gold. Um, and if you look, at, you know, in the history of of hard money, is you know all the the value um, gets soaked up into this hard money. So yeah, it, it does increase in, in its purchasing power over time uh, until something better comes along, which I don't understand how you could have something uh, better than Bitcoin. But but yeah, I mean, it, of course, it's going to pump forever. Um, if, if you if you study any uh, economics or anything, um, this is the, the new hardest form of money. It's going to be harder than gold. And, and once the you know the 21 million cap is is hit the stock to flow ratio is basically infinite so what's harder than that i mean i would even argue that uh now that we have this ledger right now that we have this global ledger that is agreed upon um even in some kind of uh theoretical amazing new technology comes out to replace bitcoin as the best money it would still use uh, the you know the tip of our ledger as the consensus point to launch their own ledger. Otherwise, it wouldn't be taken seriously, right? Right. It's kind of like if you're going to issue gold certificates or or something, they're still settled in gold coins or gold bars. It, it'll be the new um, default way to settle any transaction. Well, I'm glad we agree on that. I've have yet to have a list. I've yet to have a guest disagree with it, um, but it, I think it's important for our grandkids that we have us all on the record saying so. So, I I will continue. I will continue. I will continue asking that question um, because I think it's important. Um, freaks, like, feel free to throw questions into the chat. We, you know, no questions are off off limits. And we're happy to answer them. Um, the next thing I have for you guys is, Simon, we'll start with you again because you've been quiet and I want to hear from you. Um, is it possible for the U.S. government to kill Bitcoin? And if the U.S. government were to kill Bitcoin, how would they do it? 
Hmm. Well, nothing can really kill Bitcoin. They could hurt Bitcoin a lot. They could hurt the price a lot if they impose a global ban. <laughs> if they could print a lot of fiat, they could buy up a lot of uh, miners and start trying to make a 51% attack. So there's a lot of theoretical attacks that they could do, but um, they would never be able to kill the network, I, I don't think, as long as there's like one node somewhere keeping the blockchain and there's at least some a few miners somewhere, it's going to just stay alive and kicking. And then eventually it's just going to, the US government's going to give up and Bitcoin's going to win. What was the second question? No, that was the question. That was a, I mean, that was a very good answer. Yeah. I mean, I, I really appreciate the insight. Wiz, U.S. government it's, killing Bitcoin. It, I, and, and the reason I ask, just to be clear, I'm not being American-centric. I think that the U.S. government is the most sophisticated actor that might want to kill Bitcoin. So, like, we should assume uh, the most sophisticated attack, right? We should assume that we shouldn't assume, um, you know, some random schmuck wants to destroy Bitcoin. We should assume that the most sophisticated attacker on the planet is going to do it. So if you don't want it to be the U.S. government, it could be the Chinese government. You know, I guess like someone there, right? Well, first of all, Matt, that's a very provocative question. And uh, <laughs> second of all, you need to define both the words kill and the word Bitcoin, right? What exactly, <laughs> what exactly is Bitcoin and what exactly does it mean to kill it? And I'll give you, I'll give you a, an analogy. Uh, how would the U.S. government kill the Internet? Well, uh, if I run a Ethernet cable from my Wi-Fi router to your Wi-Fi router and we exchange routes, we are internetworking. And so therefore, we have our own Internet. It's not the global Internet, but uh, you can partition the network. Does that mean you kill the Internet if, there, if you split it in two? Well, not really. You know, it's just like separate. So uh, how would you kill Bitcoin? I mean, as Simon just said, as long as there's one node and one miner running, uh, Bitcoin still exists. And, um, you know, you, it's kind of immortal in that sense, in that the sense that uh, Bitcoin is just this idea of a system, uh, just like the Internet is just a, it's just a conceptual uh, idea. And um, anytime two computers exchange, you know, data, you could call that internetworking. So... You know what's uh, what does it mean to kill Bitcoin? Even if there was some O'Day exploit in the code, uh, some where they could inflate the supply, we would just, you know, the community would get together and say, yeah, as of this block, the you know the supply was correct, so we'll just fork off from that point, and you know we have smart people who can fix it. If they tried to do denial of service attacks. Um, you know, we, the, we would respond. I mean, basically, um, yes, the U S government is a very strong, uh, actor, but all the rest of the entire Bitcoin community is arguably stronger as a collective, uh, force. And this is visible. Like when you, when you talk about, well, can the U S government shut down the internet? Maybe in the very early days they could have, but not anymore. Now the internet is this global thing that, uh, you know, is arguably bigger than the U S right and uh now the majority of the the internet services like google or or you know amazon all the big uh silicon valley guys are there but you know look at the the 
China's internet, right? China's internet is not, it has like very limited connectivity to the global internet, right? So did China kill the internet? Well, not completely. They just kind of uh, filtered off a bunch of it and they made their own intranet, uh, so to speak, right? So like when you look at how a nation, what a nation state might do to kill Bitcoin, um, that's that's a very uh, vague thing. They might try and, uh, you know, tweak it to their uh, agenda, right? Like, for example, um, they might issue their own central bank digital currencies that are backed by Bitcoin that they control, that they can do mass surveillance on. Uh, is that killing Bitcoin? Uh, you know, th there's a lot of uh, open-ended questions. There's a lot of directions they could go in to try and control it. But at the end of the day, it's really about controlling the people and controlling uh, the freedom of information and the privacy of information. And as long as we have the internet, I don't feel that's possible because we can always encrypt data between each other. We can always, you know, have our Raspberry Pis form a peer-to-peer -peer network over Tor or other, you know, uh, upper layer peer-to-peer -peer networks that are secure. So there's a lot of uh, tools that the cypherpunks have and the cypherpunks always win at the end of the day, right? I, I can't really see any nation state uh, quote unquote, killing Bitcoin, just like I can't see any nation state killing the internet. Right. I mean, I, it, it definitely was provocative, intentionally provocative. Uh, it is a recurring provocative segment on the show. Um, I, uh, I, they, they, the, the powers that be can make it so that the average user, um, has more issues, right? that is like it's less accessible but this idea that they can squash free open source software is uh it seems like at this point is a false idea right like the, this idea that you can squash free speech on the internet and and free open source software as a derivative of free speech um is, well, is a pretty much a futile goal like if someone is motivated they're going to be able to access it right i mean the u.s government the, the cypherpunks already had this uh, battle and won back in the 90s. The really uh, the OG cypherpunks like uh, Daniel J. Bernstein or Adam Back, you know, uh, they literally took it to the Supreme Court and, uh, you know, got like a court ruling that says code is free speech. They were literally like printing code on T-shirts and printing source code in books. And, uh, you know, because the U.S. government was trying to they, they called it the uh, export of munitions. They were trying to say that cryptography is some kind of weapon, and so you can't export it outside of the U.S., which, which is how can you make math illegal, right, and code illegal, which is just free speech. So the, the cypherpunks already fought that battle in the 90s. It won. Free open source software is here to stay, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, I, I so someone in the comments mentioned Satoshi Stash. I mean, like, what can you do with Satoshi Stash? I guess you could tank the price. Like, I, I don't think that's oh. really a vulnerability. And so someone in comment mentioned that China or U.S. would would create their own competitor. And I see a lot of that kind of FUD <laughs> recently. People think that the central bank uh, digital currencies are going to be somehow a com comp competitor to Bitcoin, which doesn't make any sense at all because they're just another version of the fiat centralized currency with the same flaws that Bitcoin came to solve. Well, I just wanted to answer that comment as well. That's an interesting question, though, right? Because um, 
I actually think that's one of the uh, probably better attack vectors is uh, and China is, is all, again, always like a good example, like um, China made their own Internet, right? They they banned all the, the U.S. services like Google and YouTube and Twitter, and they made their own domestic versions, which they control and all the people use. Um, you know, first because of the language barrier and the network effects of uh, all the Chinese people using the domestic Chinese versions of these apps. Uh, but second of all, because of the actual totalitarian, you know, great firewall of China that blocks them from accessing it uh, without a VPN or, or Tor or something. And so in theory, you could do the same kind of system, but in order to do so, you would have to also control the internet. And so when, you, when you're talking about the U.S. government doing it, uh, fortunately, you know, the, the Internet is not regulated in free countries like U.S. or Japan. But in, uh, you know, totalitarian countries like China, for example, where they do control the Internet quite a bit, uh, it's much more likely that they can coerce the users to using a uh, central bank digital currency. However, as the Bitcoin standard taught us is that, you know, when it comes to people's money, they get really uh, smart and they want to protect it. And so uh, it, it'll certainly be uh, probably one area of resistance or one attack vector that uh, a country like China could do. But I don't see the U.S. government being able to, you know, who's going to want a digital USD token um, that's controlled by the U.S. government when you could have a free token, right? Like if you put them side by side on the menu, you're going to pick Bitcoin every time. But in China, they're going to try and block that uh, Bitcoin option at some point, or they, they already I'm are. It's already banned in China, but people are using it. I think it's huge there, and they're using it for to evade the capital controls them in China. And they definitely see the difference between Bitcoin and their digital Chinese yuan, which is to, totally controlled and surveilled. I don't see any, what's, what's going to be different with a central bank digital currency. So... Uh, it's impossible to compete with Bitcoin, which is this free alternative outside the system. I mean, what, what you see, right, is what you see is that um, the easiest way to compete with these censorship resistance networks and these distributed networks is to offer a better service, a, a more convenient service that has different trade-offs, but is more convenient to the average user. Um, and, and we saw that with piracy in the Western states. Um, you know, BitTorrent was the easiest way to access videos. And then Netflix came in and they were like, if you pay us $10 a month, we'll make it more convenient for you. Um, and since then it's actually, you know, bifurcated a little bit. It's, it's, it's all of a sudden you have to have all these different services and you have to sign up for all these different services. It's not just a single service. It's become more difficult again. And we see this resurgence in BitTorrent, right? And um, I, I could see maybe the same idea uh, if you were going to try and compete with Bitcoin, you offer maybe a fiat that isn't shitty as, as hell, you know, like you offer fiat that, that, that isn't censorship, that there's no censorship, that it isn't like getting inflated. But at the, at the same time, people are greedy and, and that won't last. It'll never last. It didn't last in terms of offering a competitor to BitTorrent. And it won't last in, in terms of offering a competitor Bitcoin. Like there's no way that the powers that be will offer a dollar that gives you any kind of censorship resistance or any kind of, um, 
store of value long term, right? Yeah, I mean, they're not going to be able to compete with a convenience thing because that's it's already super convenient to swipe your MasterCard or uh, use Venmo, whatever you're using, depending on which country you live in. So it's not a convenience thing. So how, how would they, to compete with Bitcoin, they would need to be censorship resistant and inflation resistant. And that's not going to happen. We all know that's not going to happen. That's why I don't see any competi com competition from these new central bank digital currencies, right? Well, I think, was it Visa or MasterCard just announced that they're going to support BTC denominated credit cards? Did you guys hear about that? Yeah, I mean, that obviously is, you know, not going to be censorship resistant at all. It's going to be custodial. Right, but the point is it's, um, you know, fighting against the central bank's digital coin, right? Like if if you have all the convenience benefits of using a credit card and all the inflation-resistant benefits of using only Bitcoin, uh, then why would anyone want this uh, USD shitcoin, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just, it's, it just goes all the way. Like there's, they can't compete. Like no company compete, can compete with Bitcoin. No government can compete with Bitcoin because like, even if for some like amazing theoretical scenario, like the U S government was like, Americans will have no restrictions with using this, this digital cash that we offer. They're not going to allow other governments to use it like willy nilly, they're not going to allow like other citizens to use it. Like it'll never happen. That's never going to happen. And, you know, maybe in a theoretical it competes, but they're just like humans will never allow that to happen. And that's the beauty of Bitcoin. The beauty of Bitcoin is that you don't, you know, you don't have to rely on the strength of humans. You just have to rely on their greed and humans are, are very reliably greedy. Uh, and, and it's very cool that you can just rely on that greed and know that you're secure because of that. Um, we had uh, a very good question that I have highlighted here from 21ism Bitcoin Art Collective. Um, where would we be without Tor? Should we be concerned that Tor reliability? Tor seems like the network has just been under attack constantly for the last couple of weeks. Um, it seems like, honestly, that the development team isn't really taking censorship resistance that seriously. They kind of just assume the U.S. government will provide cover for them. Um, and the, the the dialogue from them has just not been great. So are we concerned about this reliance on Tor? Are we are we fucked if Tor disappears tomorrow? Like where where should we stand here? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, a few, I guess, a month or so ago, the BISC um, DAO had its first consensus failure because Tor V three onions were completely broken for like a couple of days. Um, from apparently some kind of nation state level attack. And uh, yeah, I mean, if if BISC routes 100% of its traffic through Tor and Tor stops working, well then BISC stops working too, right? So um, I, I think again, at the end of the day, the cypherpunks will sm are smart and they'll figure out better, newer, more censorship resistant uh, technologies. And there's even other um, like I2P, you ever heard of that? Um, there, there's some other, uh, yeah, but ITP is like butterfly labs of private networks, you know, it's like, sure. where, where is it? Sure. It's, it's just, you know, a random example, but I'm saying like, there are other 
technologies out there besides Tor. And and again, you always have to use the right tool for the right job. Um, you could use, you know, sometimes maybe a VPN point to point or, uh, you know, maybe, you know, there, there's lots of technologies on the internet to do uh, censorship resistance, um, including ClearNet. You know, like uh, if you need privacy, there's other ways to do that uh, by mixing your traffic. So, you know, Tor is great and it's uh, very important for like we, we use it a lot in Bitcoin and a lot of BISC um, onions because it's so easy and so uh, well developed. But um, if Tor died tomorrow, we would come up with something else that's probably much better and far superior. And, you know, cypherpunks are smart. We'll, we'll figure that out again. I mean, that was a fantastic answer. Sami, do you have anything to add there? Um, not that I can think of, no. This is like Wiz's wheelhouse. He was like born to answer that question. <laughs> um, I mean, people keep drawing, people love Elon with the Starlink shit. Uh, like, are we bullish on Starlink in this, uh, in this conversation? Oh, yeah. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. I mean, Starlink opens up like the great American outdoors. Like that, people don't realize. Like, uh, I mean, I mean, if if you were paying attention to Luke Dash Junior., you 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 might realize. But the majority of the U.S. Uh, landscape is just horrible internet. So so the fact that that maybe I can buy um, large acreages of land in uh the great american west and uh, have have reliable internet along with it would be pretty big but of course once again trust third parties are security holes and you're gonna have to trust you know starlink with that right and we we don't want to have too many nodes on on starlink well you don't need to trust your isp because you can use technologies like vpns and tor so uh we have to trust them with reliability so so this is interesting, right? So lightning is the only thing in my internet usage that cares about reliability and no one talks about it. Do you know what I, you, you know, you understand where I'm coming from with this? Like if, if my node is down and I don't have a watchtower set up, um, I'm susceptible to an attack. And if I'm a public Bitcoiner and I have a public Bitcoin node, and let's say I'm in Texas, and there's rolling blackouts in Texas, like all of a sudden my node is highly susceptible to attacks, right? Well, that's true of any layer two or upper layer uh, application that, um, you know, the Bitcoin is kind of unique in the sense where it's quote unquote, just a ledger with only transactions to update the ledger, right? I mean, more or less, that's what it uh, ends up being settled into at the end of the day. So. You don't always have to be connected to the Bitcoin network all the time. But with pretty much any other higher layer application, yeah, you'd need to be connected all the time. And um, there are ways to mitigate that using, as you said, like watchtowers or basically just redundancy. Like this is true of any service on the Internet, right? You need multiple locations. You need failover. You need load balancing. Um, you need redundancy. And But if and, Coinbase uh, goes down, if Coinbase goes down, no one can steal their money. Like if my lightning node is in Austin, Texas, and it goes down because of a rolling blackout, like I could get my money taken. That's why you need redundancy in the form of watchtowers that are in multiple right. locations. Yeah, or in the 
case of Lightning, you could limit your channels to people you trust. So Lightning is like semi-trusted. Right, I don't like that answer. That second answer is not a good answer. <laughs> yeah, Simon, we should trust, not verify. Lightning yeah, is, is much more, more secure if you're just opening channels to the one you actually know who you're opening channels to. Well, that's why I think it's funny, right? Is that Liquid took over the mantle of like, oh, we're the exchange to exchange protocol. But really, like Lightning's perfect for that because like you, you try if you're one exchange and you have a relationship with the other exchange, like it's super yeah. easy to have a large private channel with them. Wait on that use case. Yeah. And I can't wait for that to happen. But for like the average user, for like me, that I fuck that shit. I have no there's there's no value to me to have uh you know like trusted channels i, I don't see the value well it, the, the, as the higher you go up on the stack um the more trade-offs you typically make um so for example um a popular app these days is uber right um under that you, you know you it's just a fully trusted setup and below that you even you even have multiple fully trusted lower layers like uh, uber uses your credit card which is a fully trusted thing it you you know um they're using probably amazon cloud services to power the uber systems so like um yeah like in the bitcoin base layer we can be the most distributed the most secure um the most uh, don't trust verify oriented, but the higher up the stack you go, okay, you want a layer two payment network lightning. Yeah. You're going to have to make some security trade-offs or you want to use liquid. You're going to use BIS. Yeah. You're going to have to make some security trade-offs for, for those new use cases. And if you want extreme convenience, then you typically have to go to a fully trusted setup. So it's, it's, a, it's like this uh, sliding slider bar on the spectrum of trading convenience for or trading convenience um to lose security privacy and freedom right so if you want if you want maximum security then always use on-chain bitcoin transactions but it's very expensive right so right i mean i i think one of the unspoken things about lightning that no one wants to talk about is that it creates like easy interoperable custodial networks would you disagree with me um i was just thinking about what because means. right like like think about it like if if wallet of satoshi is running their custodial lightning and blue wallet is running their custodial lightning and some random ass custodial lightning wallet in russia decides they're going to load up their their network they can easily interact with the blue wallet and wallet of satoshi without any kind of uh not they don't they can reduce the trust of that relationship and they can just you know, have like a big channel between each other. Uh, and as long as they're online and they have their watchtowers and whatnot, there's not much trust there and it's, it's minimized. And it allows their individual users to all be custodial though. Yeah, probably like um, a good uh, analogy for the uh, fiat world is a ch uh, check, checks, uh, like paper checks, right? If two businesses do a lot of businesses, uh, if two companies do a lot of business between each other, they'll typically write a lot of checks to each other. And because they, you know, grow their reputation and trust over time, um, they're not so worried that someone's going to suddenly bounce a check. But if you, if you open a channel with someone, 
uh, it's completely untrusted. And you don't know what kind of attacks they might do, right? Like, I think Lightning hasn't seen its fair share of uh, attacks yet. And maybe now that the price is going up, we'll see this more. But I think it was like LN Big that tweeted something like, yeah, someone opened the channel to us. And then now they're doing a denial of service attack and they're trying to broadcast an old state. You know, they're trying to rip them off for money. And um, yeah, as we discussed before, if you don't have the watchtower set up, that's a potential attack vector. So, I mean, you know, th Ellen Big could be attack, right? Like, who do, who the fuck is Ellen Big? It's just some random dude that has fifty percent of the network, and it's all running out of the same Virginia data center that's like thirty minutes from Langley. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you don't have to route through them, right? <laughs> I mean, you kind of so do. Well, you could say that about the internet, right? Like, do right. you have to use the only ISP in your town or could you make your own ISP, you know? So there's always like more expensive alternatives. It's just that you have to trade off that security, privacy and freedom for the cost or convenience, right? Yeah, I, I just, I, it's just weird to me that like no one talks about the Ellen Big thing. Uh... Yeah. Like I'm the only one who ever talks about it, and 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 I tried to talk about it offline the majority of the time, uh, pre-Rona, and then, you know, now I just don't see people as much, so I just talk about it online, and because no one else is talking about it, so I feel like at this point we just got to talk about it. Like no one knows who that person is, at all. Well, there's nothing wrong with being pseudonymous, but I mean, no, but it's he control he she they. CIA control 50% of the network and it's all even if they didn't even if they're not malicious it's all going through the same data center like every single node that they have is in the same data center in Virginia so even if they're not malicious someone could maliciously access all those nodes at the same time well is that okay but what do you mean by quote unquote 50% of the network do you mean 50% of the routing capacity or well, public routing capacity public yeah routing so capacity. you could just blacklist those guys on your node never to route yeah but no one blacklists and... them i blacklist them i mean i don't blacklist them i just i close the channels if they open it with me but but they're <laughs> essentially blacklisted. they're manually blacklisted for matt odell nodes but still most people don't like the majority of nodes i interact with are have an ln big node connected to them yeah, challenge. but what if they weren't? What if they weren't ta tagging their nodes with Ellen Big, and they just use random? I know tags that's what's weird, right? It shouldn't be an attack. It probably isn't an attack. Why would an attacker say like Ellen Big number fifty, Ellen Big number right. forty two, or whatever? But at the same time, like, what the fuck's going on, and why is no one talking about it? I, I like I, I. I see your point. Like, sure, it could be some kind of uh, blockchain analysis company, or or in this case, off chain analysis company, but. Um, I think it's much more likely that it's just some OG Bitcoiner who has a lot of Bitcoin and wants to get a return on his Bitcoin in sats, right? But then Wiz, why is he running it all in the same data center in Virginia? Why not? I don't know. That's his thing. And they're all hot wallets, right? I mean, <laughs> what's wrong with some, running something out of a data center? Just because it's in Virginia, that makes you... Because it's all this... No, no. The issue I have is that it's all the same data center. I mean... And, and presumably he's a NIM, so he doesn't live in... Like, he doesn't live in Virginia. Otherwise, he's not going to do 
like he's not going to do the <laughs> the data center that's like down the street from his home, right? So why not? <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe he did. Maybe he did, and he knows the guy who operates it, and then now everything's cozy. But you know, barring that, like a lot of people say, like, oh, he's a Russian OG. Like, so he's a Russian OG, and then he's running. I I, I don't know. I'm not trying to dox the guy. It's just it's just something that no one really talks about. And I feel like Wiz is like the perfect person. Um, I mean, you could say the same to, thing to about bring this up many with. other. There's like Bit Refill runs a huge node. ASIC runs a huge node. Uh, Open Node, you know, all of these. And I'm concerned you know, about main, them, but at least we know who they are, right? Well, I mean, is your concern that they're like, you know, logging all of the routing and invading your privacy kind of thing? Well, I mean, I'm the only. Look, Jack Mahler's is my boy. Uh, I'm the only person who I've ever heard on on any of these big Bitcoin podcasts talk about the concerns over centralization risk over LN Strike uh, and KYC and him like taking over liquidity on the network and knowing all these different public key nodes, the public keys of all the different nodes and whatnot. Um, I brought that up many times. I brought that up in in an interview with him on live. Um, and I, I a hundred percent, I I'm concerned about Bitrefill becoming massive. I'm concerned about rivers node becoming massive. I'm concerned about Bitfinex's node becoming massive. Um, I, I, my concerns with lightning sound like a shit corners concerns. Like my concerns are that it becomes hub and spoke KYC regulated, super centralized, right? Um, the, the mitigation is I need the freaks out there that are listening right now to to run their own lightning nodes uh that run them through tor only so that their ips aren't exposed on hardware they control um and run their own public you know their own public routing channels uh that's what we need that's the solution i just i see this happening and i see ellen big happening and people just kind of ignore it no one wants to talk about it well, that I mean, you could say the same thing about the internet, right? Like, what's a big ISP in uh, USA, like AT&T or Sprint or even Google? Right. Oh, like, there's, you know, there's only like, or was it Comcast? There's only like um, a handful of ISPs in USA, right? And every literally everyone's routing their traffic through them. So isn't that a concern? What if they're logging everyone's data? Well, actually, they are, right? And they're probably doing the NSA choke point surveillance and all kinds of really nasty stuff um and some people talk about it but for the most part you know people just use clearnet without any privacy protection uh technologies at all right so oh my god it's so bad so i mean you could say <laughs> that about a lot of things like well, well what about coinbase that's very centralized and they have everyone's transaction data isn't that bad well sure yeah but we all but, agree coinbase is bad like everyone is concerned about coinbase and some so people are more that, concerned than they should be about coinbase i feel like people are more concerned about coinbase than they should be and less concerned about ellen big bit refill ellen strike you know bit bit, bit finex than they should be right but that's that's not necessarily anything negative just because a uh, a certain lightning node has a lot of routing capacity. That's just because they're a big business and they do lots of transactions and they need lots of liquidity, right? Like, um, there's nothing necessarily negative about that. And 
it's it kind of I mean that's how the internet is also structured right like how much traffic is routing through your home Wi-Fi router well only your own personal traffic right but the the ISP that you're plugged into they're routing everybody's traffic so like that's probably how I mean that's typically how most peer-to-peer -peer networks uh, get developed is just um, most people unfortunately don't set up their own routing nodes whether that be an internet routing node a tor routing node a lightning routing node bitcoin routing node they typically trust other people's nodes because it's difficult they don't know how to do it you have to maintain this thing if it goes offline you might lose money uh etc etc cetera, et cetera. like it's just people will always or not always but 99 percent of people will optimize for convenience and low cost over the privacy concerns that you have, right? Obviously, we're, we're the hardcore cypherpunk kind of guys. Of course, we run our own nodes or even like blacklisting who our nodes can route through and, and things like this. So, I mean, that's just how the world works, right? Is that peer-to-peer -peer networks do typically become decentralized and not fully distributed like Bitcoin um, is, which is really cool. I'm concerned about um, Lightning might be priced out for regular people running on their Raspberry Pi. Imagine if it costs 50 bucks to open a channel, to close a channel, to rebalance your channel. It's not going to be cost effective if you're not if you're not a routing node that actually earned the fees to get back what you spend on managing the liquidity. So what you were saying, Matt, with the wallet of the Satoshi. Blue Wallet, those are probably the services we're going to see become the bigger players in the near term future, at least. And Wallet of Satoshi already has a KYC requirement if you are going to upper your limits of spending. What's the so, limit at Wallet of Satoshi? I'm not sure, but I think it's if it's over a um, thousand bucks or something, you have to KYC. Uh, so I. So, so yeah. Simon, I mean, I, I, the way I look at lightning is, I mean, I don't think, I, I think we're only going to, we're going to have the hardcores run the routing nodes, uh, whether that's, you know, a bit refill or if that's like a, a sovereign routing node through Tor only, um, we're going to have the hardcores run it. I think as long as we keep the accessibility under like, like under whiz level, like not whiz, like you shouldn't be whiz. You shouldn't be like needing to run your own ISP. Um, but like if but we Umbrella can, is a good example, right? Like right, if you like have we, a Raspberry Pi with Umbrella, you can do it. Like an enthusiast, like we have an enthusiast who's willing to spend a little bit of money. Like they they should be able to run a routing node through Tor only, and 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 maybe those Tor only routing like it, the network becomes bifurcated a little bit, right? Like if if you transact in the in the Sovereign Lightning network, like your fees will be a little bit higher than if you go um through some like cuck exchange or whatever right well every i mean if you look at how other apps work like again the internet is a, always a great comparison to look at um probably newbies who get started on the internet start out with an iphone right it's a fully trusted setup to a centralized isp uh telecom mobile carrier uh, they use fully centralized apps like Facebook. All of their data is in the cloud. They don't use any encryption or end-to-end -end privacy, nothing, right? Um, then maybe like one level about that, uh, above that is uh, someone has a computer, like an actual desktop or a laptop computer. Um, you know, then 
they might have a home ISP with a home Wi-Fi router. Then maybe one level up from that is they might use a VPN or they might have, a, you know, some minimal privacy software, um, you know, and you keep going up the ladder, all these rings until someone operates their own full node, which in the internet uh, world, we call that an ISP. If you run a, an, a full, full routing node on the internet, then you can black, you can pick who you want to peer with. You can blacklist what traffic goes where and, and everything. And so if you look at Lightning Network, it's probably going to be a very similar model. Newbies start out by installing an app on their app iPhone that's fully custodial, fully trusted, and that's fine for, for getting them, for seducing them into starting on Lightning. And then once they have enough sats um, or they, you know, they get goxed or uh, they don't want to do, they want to get taxed or whatever, for whatever reason, they get pushed up the, up the ladder and they, they run their own, you know, Raspberry Pi uh, lightning routing node. And, you know, they, maybe they have more and more channel capacity as you go up the ladder. And then the top of the ladder is like, uh, you know, LN big kind of people or bit refill kind of people where you're this huge business that does tons of transactions. Uh, you know, it, there's, it, it's not, again, it's, you have to have the right tool for the job. There is no one size fits all for Bitcoin or lightning or the internet or, or anything in life. Right. No, yeah. hundred percent. Um, no, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think as humans, we tend to try and distill it down a little bit too much. Um, but of course there's going to be, uh, different levels to this shit. There's always, there's always, there's always different levels to this shit. Um, we had a previous question from a freak asking if, asking you specifically, Wiz, do you think it should be a concern for the average user if they're running BISC on their regular computer? They have a MacBook Pro or something. They're running it on their regular computer. Should they be concerned? No, because all BISC traffic is routed through Tor and, um, I mean, it's that's that's exactly the use case it's designed for, is to run BISC on a computer. In fact, uh, BISC doesn't really support running on anything other than a computer right now. So that's literally. Well, I mean, I, I I think what the freak is saying is like if, if compared to, so I mean, I, what I would add there is is compared to running on a dedicated machine. So like you have like a dedicated Linux machine or even a dedicated uh, you know Apple machine. Um, versus your your regular everyday computer is obviously your regular everyday computer has a bigger attack surface so if if, if you're going to oh, keep large amounts yeah if you're going to keep large yes. amounts on bisc like the bet like the larger the amount the the more important it is that you have a dedicated okay sorry part, i thought right? you meant uh privacy concerns if it's security concerns then of course anything with a hot wallet in it that has a significant amount of funds should be isolated in its own container or virtual machine or dedicated bare metal machine is always a better security setup than, you know, this, you know, running your hot wallet on your same computer that you look at porn at or something and probably install all these random apps. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I well, if, if you're Mar like if, if Marty hears about this, like porn, you should never look at porn. So that's irrelevant. I mean, of course, you know, BISC is, uh, <laughs> it's a hot wallet, like any hot wallet. Um, or agnostic. Yes. 
I mean, it's just any kind of malicious apps that you might uh, be tricked into installing or might hack your computer somehow, you know, through some O-Day exploit. You just remove all of that attack vector if you only have BISC running in its own uh, either virtual environment or, or bare metal com computer environment. Yeah, I mean, 100%. Yeah, so, so, so... If you use a dedicated machine, you're always you're always better off security-wise, guys. No matter what, um, that that that's just it, it is it is physics. It's just basic. It's basic security hygiene. Um, so so Wiz, you know, so right now we have on the screen we have Bisc is trading at forty five thousand dollars. Evil Empire is trading at forty nine thousand three hundred. Bisc was the first to trade above fifty k. Um, it goes back and forth. You know, the liquidity isn't that high uh, with BISC. I mean, very. It's the, the to be frank, in the United States with the fiat, you know, liquidity is very low. Um, what 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 do we do to solve this? Like like what what is the what is there a plan? Is there a plan in place like that people are thinking about here? You mean to improve the liquidity on the BISC? peer-to-peer -peer exchange network? You know, BISC is one of the unspoken things about BISC, which we're about to speak about because that's the whole point of fucking Citadel Dispatch. We speak about the unspoken things. Um, is is that the largest market is Monero Bitcoin. Um, in, the, in volume, but the number of trades is by far fiat to Bitcoin. Right. Uh, it's, but So basically, Monero combined, got delisted. But you're, combining, you're combining fiats, right? You're doing Bitcoin, Euro. No, uh, but the number of trades, um, the number of USD to Bitcoin trades on BISC is greater than the number of Monero trades, right? It's but the just, volume is dwarfed like a motherfucker. Right, right, because so here's what happened. The Monero got delisted from a bunch of centralized exchanges because, you know, it protects people's privacy and centralized exchanges are regulated by governments that don't like that. For example, in Japan, the Japanese government says Monero is a money laundering tool. So, ooh, it's evil. So all that Monero trading volume goes to BISC and there's some whales on there who do, you know, huge Monero trading volume on BISC for its censorship resistance and privacy features, which is great because that trading fee revenue goes to the BISC DAO, which basically funds the development of the BISC project so that it can support the bitcoin to fiat trades which is the real use case so it's 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 cool that the monero community and the bitcoin community have that overlap where they both want that privacy and censorship resistance and it's cool that the monero whales are willing to pay the bisque project to do that so that the bisque project can uh you know actually have a a good bitcoin to fiat training platform yeah i mean so uh, we what would you basically the the reason we don't have heavy volumes in USD and even like euros like double the volume but still nothing to be honest is because the regulated exchanges haven't been really closed off fully yet like I think we see a we we if we see uh, an exit ramp ban we we see like countries start trying to block the exits from people leaving their shitty money to the good money, then all of a sudden, um, BISC needs to be ready and willing. Like BISC needs to be there, ready to go. And at that point, like all of a sudden, BISC quickly becomes, like to me, BISC is already the most important market, which is crazy to say when 
Something like BitMEX is doing billions of dollars worth of volume a day. Something like Coinbase is doing billions of dollars worth of volume, but way less billions than BitMEX because BitMEX is a derivative exchange. Um, and then like BISC is doing like $80,000 um, worth of volume a day. Um, but BISC is to me is still the most important. Well, and and that, that's because when those when those restrictions end up happening, that's where we're most vulnerable. We're most vulnerable at that that intersection. And and when those restrictions happen, that's when BISC steps up to the fucking plate, right? Well, I totally agree that BISC is like the most one of the most important Bitcoin projects, and it is like critical infrastructure. Uh, in in a shit hits the fan situation where governments ban Bitcoin, BISC users would not be affected because you could still do peer-to-peer -peer trading, even cash at a, you know, Starbucks kind of thing. So uh, when you talk about the liquidity and uh, these offers, um, so first of all, if I trade with someone on BISC a few times, I'm just going to message them directly and say, hey, why don't we just trade directly outside of right. BISC? Because you kind of trust each other at a, at a, after a certain point, you build up reputation or whatever. And so a lot of the trading volume that was, uh, you know, came from BISC is not going to be reflected in the public trade statistics data, right? Because that's just due to the, the natural, like, uh, decentralized nature of the okay. exchange network. It's, it's kind of like a bulletin board, right? It's kind of I mean, like it's humans. It's humans, right? Like, you don't want to pay the fee, right? Like, we see that with Airbnb. Sure. Like you see it in centralized projects, right? Like, where, like, Airbnb, like, if you already have, if I rent a place from someone, like, why would I pay Airbnb their cut if I can just go out on the outside? Right. And and that's great. Like, if, if you meet your, you know, a few, few uh, reputable traders from BISC and you trade directly with them, great. Like, now that's even better than that's truly peer to peer at that point right you just right. happen to like meet them on bisc so and i actually made a lot of friends uh who i met on bisc from trading with them and, and everything so um that that's a cool thing about it being a uh, exchange network or a community of of bitcoiners right that you would not have on any other exchange at all uh you would never like you would never chat with your trading partner on a centralized exchange right so even though the trade statistics might be a smaller number and it might look uh, smaller, the community around BISC is the real uh, power, is the real strength, um, right? You're just seeing the tip of the iceberg on the public trade statistics data. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's still being dwarfed though. <laughs> like, like well, I agree, fine. I agree with you, but it's it's because like, people I, optimize for a. a you know, speed and user experience, and they know if they wire their money to uh, Bitflyer in Japan, I can have the money in my account a few minutes later, or or my bitcoins or whatever. So, BISC is a uh, you know, it's like how many people run their own uh, ISP or something? Like very few people. But if tomorrow the government says, uh, you know, ISPs can't have customers anymore, well, there's going to be a shitload of people starting exactly. up their own ISPs, right? And so that's kind of what BISC is. It's a it's a peer to peer trading network. It's there for the hardcore people. But if shit hits the fan, everyone is now hardcore user because they have to. It's be. the and release so, valve. It's the fire escape. Yeah, it's it's an emergency backup system, right? And then keeps everyone honest. Or if you simply want to stack sats without the government knowing about it, maybe you're willing to to uh, trade with a little bit 
clunkier user experience, a little bit slower trade process, a little bit higher fees to trade on BISC if you if you value your privacy. And that's like, as you said, the Monero community is huge on BISC because obviously they really care about privacy if they're trading Monero, right? And they're even, they're like working on a project to try and they realize how important it is and they, 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 want, to, they want to remove the, the reliance on BISC for it. I mean, I don't know if they'll ever, you know, they're trying to create their own decks, you know, decentralized exchange because they understand the importance of it. Out of, out of well, anyone, the, pri the the so-called privacy coins understand it the most because they're getting hit by the regular the regulators. Well, my understanding is that until very recently, it wasn't possible to do an atomic swap between Bitcoin and uh, Monero, but now it is. So now they can. It isn't uh, fully yet, but. Uh, Fluffy, like his shitcoin project is trying to make it compatible with Lightning. So like he has his shitcoin Tari, which is like the shitcoin layer of, of Monero. And then that's supposed to atomic swap with Lightning. But anyway, that's besides the point. Um, I, I think um, fiat, interacting with fiat is always difficult. So of course, it is easier to integrate altcoins into BISC. Like trading, trading trust minimized with altcoins in BISC, obviously way easier. You don't have to deal with fiat institutions. Yeah, Once but you I start mean, interacting been... with fiat, it's going to be way more difficult. I really do like that BISC just added the cash option, right? But uh, the majority of volume on BISC on the fiat side is is through traditional bank transfers, right? So you have to deal with that counterparty risk on the traditional finance side. Yeah, I, I was probably one of the most aggressive people pushing uh, BISC to delist all these shitcoins. Um, but there's, it's basically only Monero and Bitcoin to fiat. And obviously, the, the main use case of BISC is to trade real fiat money uh, to Bitcoin. Uh, but, but yeah, like uh, all these payment methods, typically, um, it's, it's like the same as any network effect, right? In every country they have like the go-to payment method, right? So like in Japan, it's the uh, Japanese bank transfer. Everybody who has a Japanese bank account can instantly and basically for free wire money to any other Japanese bank account, right? And in the USA, you have like Zelle or um, if you're really hardcore, you use postal money order, which is by the way, I think the coolest payment method on BISC. And um, you know, there's just a number of uh, like, there's like- Wait, That one's really funny. Payment. That was really funny because the, the the biggest government attack we ever had on BISC in America was the the postal order attack because Trump was attacking the postal system unrelated to Bitcoin. He he was doing it because of the voting. Um, that actually, so I was I was like a BISC mediator and uh, <laughs> and like all of a sudden I got all these disputes for like postal money order trades, and they're all like fucking Trump, and they're like so pissed because like. <laughs> Their, their shit just got lost in the mail or is delayed. And like, I would even look up on the post office tracking because they were like, you know, proving it to me that they sent it. And the right. tracking actually said like package lost. I was like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> they're so incompetent. They have like a status code for that. And I'm like, they're, okay, they're, I guess. They're responsibly yeah, the incompetent, videos. right? Like they, 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 they fucking lose the package, but at least they, they let you know promptly that they lost it. Yeah, they're responsibly <laughs> So I'm like, okay, I guess I'm the mediator. I guess like, yeah, it's the post office fault. Like, it's not your fault. I, I, I see that. So uh, yeah, I mean, fortunately, that was just around the voting time or whatever voting scam they were trying to do. But uh, yeah, postal money order is like the coolest hack of the 
legacy fiat system, right? Because all the government uh, mass surveillance and uh, you know where they seize the bank accounts and everything, that's like a relatively new idea. And for you know a hundred years before that, the way people sent money to each other was through the post office. And in Japan, that's uh, like actually the Japanese post office was like the biggest bank in the world or something crazy because um, and, and even like uh, like other big banks like American Express, obviously Express, they used to be like Federal Express. They used to be like a delivery company and a railroad and all these things. And then they just focused on the, the financial services. Right. So all of these uh, legacy, really old school payment things are like the post office for sending money and they never got regulated by the government. So you can go to a post office with cash, buy a postal money order with no KYC, send it to the guy's PO uh, box, right? And he he's at the post office and he brings it to the counter and he cashes it and he gets cash. Like that is the coolest uh, way to send money in, in USA, right? Is in terms of security, privacy and uh, censorship resistance. And more so for BISC, the, the post office website gives you the ability to like type in all the serial numbers of the money order and stuff and you can verify as a neutral third party BISC mediator, <laughs> if the money order was cashed, what post off it was, but like you can, well, this you know. Is, so this is the funniest part about Bitcoin, right? Is that like when I got into Bitcoin, like it was the first time I ever used Western Union. Like I went into like a CVS and I like had to like use the orange phone and like pick up the orange phone, and like call some random ass number and then like wait a couple days for like the thing to process. I paid like huge fees and, and, and and it's the same situation, you know. We, you know, maybe the the situation has been streamlined, so-called streamlined in the regulated KYC department, and then you have to deal with all the ID verification and whatnot. But like, when 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 you do like a proper BISC trade, or or you know, in the past when you're like, I, I does BISC have Western Union as an option as a payment option? Yeah, but I think it's not popular because of the reasons you just uh explained it's, it's like it like it teaches KYC. you it like it like teaches you why fiat sucks like why bitcoin exists like to access bitcoin to get to bitcoin you have to go through like a full stack process of learning why the current system sucks to access the bitcoin in the first place it's like the biggest friction to accessing it is the thing you're attempting to replace. So as you hit that friction, instead of turning you off, which is usually what friction does, it's like, oh, I don't want to use this app. It like it like teaches you what like why am I doing what I'm doing? <laughs> well, yeah, I think Western Union has like 10% fees or something crazy. Uh, it's very it's like very uh, difficult to do the paperwork. It's full KYC on both sides. It's just uh, totally crushed by postal money orders, um, despite them being a little bit slower because you actually have to send a piece of paper through the mail. Um, it, a postal money order is only like a couple dollars, right? And I think you can do like a thousand dollars per money order. So you can just, you know, buy an infinite amount of anonymous postal money orders with cash and then send them in the mail and get Bitcoin. Right. Now you can wear a mask while you do it and gloves. Yeah. You can wear two masks and then you're extra responsible. That's what they want you to do. Hey, Simon, how's it going to... over there? You still with us? Yeah. Ah. Ah. Um, we, we missed you. Why they call them, 
This is why they call him Soft Simon because he's so shy and soft spoken. Uh, oh, that's you do. He's, he's not hard, Simon. He's a peer talk. Simon wants to talk about the mempool. You, what do you want to talk about, Simon? Risks. What What have we missed? What have we missed? We're about two and a half hours in. I appreciate yeah. you guys' time. What What have we missed? What should we discuss? I saw a lot of questions in the comment section concerning the mempool in the beginning, but they're all gone now. Or do, you, do you not remember the questions? Do you want them to re-ask them? Freaks, hit us with new questions on the mempool. We should take the mempool questions while we're at it. Do you remember any of them? Um, when can we do one set per right? Oh, yeah. So I, that's a good question. And I've, I've talked about this on the past on the podcast, and I'm curious on your opinion, Simon. Um, so, 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 so people disagree with me. I think uh, we're fucked as Bitcoiners um, yeah. if you can easily confirm one sat per byte in five years. Um, do you disagree with me or do you not? There will be a much high, higher minimum fee. I think we're already seeing it here. If you post the one sat, it's just going to get rejected from the nearest node. It's not going to get propagated even. So using the new feature we have on mempool space, you can see which uh, minimum transaction fee that's are probably going to get rejected from majority of networks. So that bar is going to get higher and higher. I think we have a huge backlog and then it's going to be a fight to find the, and the market to be the fee. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, it's a, it's a good thing, I guess. It's all natural. It's a, it, there's a lot of demand for transaction and there's a limited uh, amount of mempool space, <laughs> like the 300 megabyte uh, default. So it's going to kick, kick out all the transactions that have the lowest fee when the, trans when the mempool is full. So uh, right now, let's see. Yeah, it's kicking out everything below three sats per byte right now because the mempool is quite full. But you can so, check on mempool.space. Yeah. Transaction fees are not that high. It's just three bucks for a segment transaction to get into the next block. But uh, there's a long, there's a big backlog on queue, which makes uh, that happen with a purging of uh, low fee transactions. So, I mean, would you agree, Simon, that like if if in five years you can just like easily um, confirm a one sat per byte transaction like Bitcoin has issues, like we're, that we should be worried? Worried about what? Like, should we be worried about the security guarantees of the Bitcoin network uh, if you can uh, easily uh, in five years confirm a one sat per byte transaction? I don't have any doubts when it comes to the security, securing the Bitcoin blockchain because the fees are, because the blocks, people hasn't, haven't realized yet how scarce the space is. It's like the 21 million, million coin limit, right? It's the so you agree, You're agreeing with me, right? Like you're saying like, Soft Simon is saying right now that in five years, the, the chance that a one sapper bite is going to get confirmed is fucking blasphemous, right? Like there's no, like there's no chance that that happens. It's probably not going to happen. We saw the mempool cleared when we have a, had like a deep long bear market, but I think with the next adoption waves, when they're like 10 X more users, 20 X more users, hundred X more users in maybe eight years, they're going to be so much demand for using the most scarcest resource. 
on the planet, which is the block space. And uh, so that, you know, there's going to be someone trying to get in always. So once that, you can, I think you, it's, it's going to be a memory. That was, um, that was one thing I tweeted uh, a while back. I said, uh, why don't uh, more Bitcoiners understand why Bitcoin fees are going to become so expensive? It's the same concept of digital scarcity. Everyone knows that the price of Bitcoin goes up because the number of BTC is scarce, capped at 21 billion. Well, the same exact concept of digital scarcity applies to space in the Bit Bitcoin's blockchain itself. Every block only has a finite amount of space in it. And so number is going to go up for that space as well. And this is why we started the mempool space project, uh, because it's going to track that uh, market for the price of mempool space and bit and blockchain space, right? It, it's, it's the same concept. If you believe that the price of Bitcoin is going to go up, then you must also accept the price of Bitcoin transaction is going up. But one might argue that, um, you know, one sat is going like I believe in sats and parity, for instance, right? So like right now, you can get two thousand sats per dollar. Um, so you can get you can get uh, what is that twenty sats per per cent? Um, that's going to obviously go down, right? So 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 maybe. I mean, I mean, so so maybe maybe the sat goes up, even though it's one sat per byte. Like that value, like the that purchasing power is going to go up, right? So could we could potentially have like a little bit of a gap period, but long term you're still fucked, right? Like long term, like we're going to see sats rates go up. Well, the price of the transaction fees of Bitcoin transactions doesn't really. Care about the fiat price of Bitcoin, right? It's just how many sats per byte. Right. Yeah. The, that's the thing people miss, right? And that's why we always hear. I mean, we we hear complaint complaints about fees, both when the price goes up, but also because the price goes up, there's more transactions, right? But but it's also because the purchasing power of a sat goes up at the same time. Um, so, so someone might argue that they're so bullish that one sat per byte is going to still confirm because the purchasing power of one sat per byte is just so massive. Is, is that like ridiculous? Is that a ridiculous concept? Like that's a Catan concept. Like that's what Catan is. Uh, our boy Catan, <laughs> our one sat per byte maximalist over there that's, that's running a, a mempool that, that'll handle all of your one sat per byte transactions up to a gig. Um, he uh, he believes that that the one sat is just going to increase in purchasing power to the point where you'll still be able to confirm it, you know, once every um, couple of years. That's, I think it's uh, about the supply and demand thing. And when people have their Bitcoin and in the future, the sats have increased a lot in fiat terms, but uh, it's still a big competition to get into the next block in the block space. So. One sat, no, I doubt it. So okay. um, I guess 6102 got uh, censored from whatever platform he was using to uh, comment on the stream. But he just sent me a message asking, yes. if, uh, is, uh, is Docker a single point of failure for all of these node boxes? And um, <laughs> I fucking love this dude. 
I just wasn't. I, I wasn't answering his. I, I wasn't checking my messaging platform, so he hit the guests, and like that's that's what it's about. I appreciate it. Sure, okay, sure. continue, continue. Um. So so say you install a mempool space app on your Raspberry Pi using the uh, Umbro App Store, which is just a a front end UX for the Docker Hub uh, container repository. I mean. If Docker censors you and cancels your account, you can just make your own Docker hub server and Umbrella can point to that, right? I mean, it, everything is open source and everything is self-hostable. Uh, just because we have a GitHub account doesn't mean that we need GitHub, right? Like uh, you could make your own GitLab or whatever. So I don't think Docker is a single point of failure or anything. And everything is uh, cryptographically verified. So Docker hub can't, inject any malware or anything into the container anyway so it's pretty secure i saw another question that got answered for the second time now about uh, our fee estimator asking if it's uh mempool based or something so i want to say yes our fee estimator is mempool based it's uh it's taking like a snapshot from how the mem the state of the mempool as it is right now, and uh, get the fee estimates for the upcoming blocks. Compared to there are some uh, legacy or other alternative fee estimator tools that are using a more probabilistic fee estimation system, and which one you might prefer is just up to you. Uh, user preference, basically. Um, what are the questions? What are the questions? Uh, did we get it? I mean, that was a great, that was a great insightful answer. I mean, Douglas asked me, what do, what do I mean by, I believe in satsang priority? I mean, I don't know, man. Like I, I speak a lot publicly. I, that was a, that was a miss, misspeak. Um, believe in satsang priority. I, I believe we'll hit satsang priority and then we'll continue to pump forever after that. So I do not think that that is a, um, it's not a death blow for pump forever. I think we will continue to pump forever after we, we hit the sats and parity. I think people don't really realize um, how early Bitcoin is. Um, I really hate the clubhouse platform. It is very anti-privacy. Uh, there's a lot of things I, I have issues with. I mean, I just social media in general, I have a lot of issues with. Um, but there's a lot of noob outreach on, on that platform. And I have... Uh, participated a bit there because I have FOMO and you know wh what else am I going to do and people it, we're so early like people we you, we're all in a little bubble we don't realize how early we are like we're like insanely fucking early there's a lot of progress to be made on UX uh, and there's a lot of progress to be made on motivation like we just need people to be motivated like people need to know why they're doing things like they're like you don't end up with a Bitcoiner who like cares about shit that hasn't gotten burned somewhere along the line. Even if they don't get burned in in the in the Bitcoin world, they they get burned outside the Bitcoin world. You know, PayPal closed their account, or uh, their local government like closed down their business, or uh, you know they 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 had a a business partner fuck them over 
in an, in a non-trust minimized way. Right. So like, there's like all these different things that you get burned and you learn and you try and improve yourself and it's going to take time for people to get burned. And that's the unfortunate reality. Yeah. I, I think, um, that you, you totally nailed it with the UX uh, being really important because a lot of people, especially like a few years ago, said it's kind of ridiculous for Bitcoiners to expect everyone to run a full node because it's so difficult to set up. But I said, that's that's ridiculous. Like it used to be really difficult to connect to the Internet. You have to like right. buy a modem and install it on your computer and get a phone line and ISP. Now you just go to the store and get an iPhone and literally everyone has the Internet in their pocket. Right. And so as the UX of Bitcoin improves, where it's just an app to install on your phone, okay, I installed a Bitcoin full node app. Done. Literally everyone can run a Bitcoin full node now. Or um, other projects like the UtreXO project, um, you know, uh, my friend Calvin in Korea got a grant from BitMEX to work on that. It's going to make it even easier for these uh, fully verifying nodes to just be like an app on the mobile phone because now they can use. Uh, minimal amount of uh, resources. So it, it's totally going to be possible for everyone to run a fully verifying uh, Bitcoin node and together with a Lightning node, uh, you know, packaged in some kind of mobile app, right? You won't even need a Raspberry Pi. You just use your phone. And then, you know, shit gets real, right? Like, right, I mean, there's two ways to look at it, right? Like you, you, you hit the hurdle like, oh, like we need more people, like people should run full nodes. That's ridiculous. Um, and then you can do, you can do two things. You can make it easier to actually, you know, use your own node, or you can be like, I'm just going to throw in the towel and just like run nodes for people and just go to a completely custodial method. Right. And like, so like, fuck you. Like, why are you just throwing in the towel there? Like fight. Yeah. I think, like you said, if, if you get goxed once, then you, learn not to uh custody bitcoin at other places and later even if you use um you know uh, withdraw to your own cold storage wallet the exchange that you bought on is still going to snitch on you to the government and then the government's going to give you this tax bill then you realize why privacy is important right so uh probably the first is the uh you know uh theft you know protection against theft. But then number two thing, people are going to want to run their own full nodes for the privacy aspect. And uh, it's those two big lessons that I think everyone has to get whacked with at least once. By the way, uh, 6102 says in all caps, tell Matt you can't stop the signal. <laughs> I love it. And he's also anti-caps for what it's worth, people. So that's a big thing uh, that he that he did it in all caps. Um, I mean, I think this has been a great conversation. Uh, I really appreciate both of you at your times. I appreciate your work. Uh, I mean, it seems like the freaks have been enjoying themselves, but their questions are exhausted. Um, I mean, I, I have one more reoccurring segment that I know the people that I have on this show, like probably disagree with substantially, but I just enjoy it. It is fun. Um, I want a price prediction for next show. And I just want to say that our last two guests, they completely missed, they completely missed uh, the ball on, on this price prediction. And I said, we were going to fall under 40 K. We we're going to be over 50 K. Um, that was a little bit off, but we haven't fallen under 40 K. So I got that going for me. Um, 
Where do you think we're going to be next week in terms of price? Starting with Wiz. Boom. Let's go. A week from now? Jeez, that's a really high time preference. High time preference. I thought you meant a year from now. No, um, fuck, fuck a year. I don't care about a year. Let's go next next week. Where are we gonna be? Uh, probably Elon Musk tweets another <laughs> pump, or some other you know huge publicly traded company has acquired billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin, and we go up another ten k. So I'll say sixty grand next week. I dig it, S- Simon. Over and under sixty k USD this time next week. I feel it would be like 40 or 60. So Wait, what, one or the other? I'm saying. Because I think in my 50K pump and then a drop. I, I don't know. Something. What? Really? 45. Okay. Well, the, the good, I appreciate both of your predictions. I think we're going to be well over 60 K. I think it doesn't matter. I think we all, all three of us agree that it doesn't matter. We're in this for the long term. Um, Simon just left. I, I, he's just upset with me. I enjoy, um, I enjoy, I enjoy the predictions because they're quantifiable. Uh, so it's fun that we can, um, actually Simon's back now. So like he wasn't truly angry at me for the question. Um, but but I, I I I mean I think we should just stack for the future so it doesn't fucking matter. But I, I think that it's fun to speculate, and I think it's fun to speculate on, um, like as like this bull market. Like people don't realize, like as this bull market progresses, um, there's going to be a lot of people that were like through the history of you being a Bitcoin or have been bullish on Bitcoin who are going to sell their Bitcoin and say like we're done. Um, and it's almost. Like when you're in a bull market, when you're in a bear market, predicting short-term prices is is a net negative for the the sad stacker. Um, but when you're in a bull market, predicting short-term prices is like important for a sad stacker because it really highlights the the urgency. You know, like like I really do think like in the next couple of months, like we're gonna hit 100k. You know, like and 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 if you don't continue keeping your foot on the pedal like you're going to end up with way less bitcoin than you would have otherwise yeah no you're totally right about that it's the name of the game is uh accumulation of bitcoin slowly over time as much as you can and staying humble while you stack those sets um it doesn't matter what the price is going to be a week from now it probably matters what it's going to be like uh you know several years from now when you Right, it's all going to be negligible. Like no one cares right. if you bought it like 12k or 9k or 6k or 4k. Exactly. It's only a it's only a question of how much did you stack? How much were you able to scoop up before the price went to the moon? Yeah, so maybe I'll change that final segment. I feel like I don't really like this. This is only the second time I've done that segment. But now you guys are on the record, so hopefully you got your prediction correctly. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, we will burn you at the stake. Um, I appreciate both of your guys' time. Um, you can follow Wiz on Twitter at Wiz. Um, you can follow Soft Simon on Twitter at, at Soft Simon underscore. Um, I have both their links in the both on the Twitter post and the YouTube post. Um, they're both the lead maintainers of mempool.space, so use their project. It is the fucking best. Um, you can use Umbral or Raspi Blitz. Or Ronan Dojo, I think, coming soon, right, guys? 
to use uh, uh, we, to use mempool on on your own node um yeah we just shipped yesterday mempool and umbro yeah fuck yes I know what I'm saying. And, yeah uh, my node is also running mempool but they're using the one year old version so it still works with transaction tracking but doesn't have all the latest features and dashboard so so the two that have it right now are umbo and raspi blitz right and you're trying to roll it out to the others yeah Awesome. So you can do that and you should do that. Um, practice self-sovereignty and, uh, and just a, just a big thank you to both you, Simon and Wiz. Thank you guys. I appreciate everything you guys do. And I look forward to having you back on Citadel Dispatch in the future. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Thanks for having us on the show. Uh, we, we love you, Matt. Much love here. Let's get lost tonight. You could be my black Kate Moss tonight. Play secretary on the ball tonight. And you don't give a what they all say, right? Awesome, the Christian and Christian Dior. Damn, they don't make them like this anymore. I ask, cause I'm not sure. Do anybody make real anymore? Bow in the presence of greatness. Cause right now, that has forsaken us. You should be honored by my lateness. That I would even show up to this place. So go ahead, go nuts, go ace. Especially in my pastel on my base. Act like you can't tell who made this new gospel. Homie, take six and take this. Haters. That, 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 that don't kill me. Can only make me stronger. I need you to hurry up now. Cause I can't wait much longer. I know I got to be right now. Cause I can't get much stronger. Man, I've been waiting all night now. That's how long I've been on ya. Like right now. I don't know if you get a man or not. If you made plans or not. If God put me in your plans or not. I'm tripping this drink, got me saying a lot. But I know that God put you in front of me. So how the hell could you front on me? It's a thousand years, it's only one of me. I'm tripping, I'm caught up in the moment, right? Cause it's Louis Vuitton Dine night. So we gon' do everything the kind like. Heard they do anything for a Klondike. Well, I'll do anything for a blind. And she'll do anything for the limelight And we'll do anything when the time's right Uh, baby, you're making it Like I never told you. Don't act like I told you. Don't act like I told you. Don't act like I told you. Don't act like I. Told you. Don't act like I
faster, stronger. Let, let, let that, that don't kill me. Can only make me stronger. I need you to hurry up now. Cause I can't wait much longer. I know I got to be right now. Cause I can't get much stronger. Man, I've been waiting all night now. That's how long I've been on ya. Love you, freaks. Stay humble and stack sats. See you next week. And also RHR in two days. Let's make that shit happen.